you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. I have waited a long time for this moment. Hosted by Arnie. I would worry about the collective wisdom of the Council if he didn't select you for this assignment. Stuart. I am becoming more powerful than any Jedi has ever dreamed of. And Jacob. I was expecting someone with your reputation to be a little older. If one is to understand the great mystery, one must study all its aspects, not just the dogmatic narrow view of the Jedi. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as they review another Star Wars film, leading up to the new film, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Sith Lords are our speciality. This line of thought will carry us. Great care we must take. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Listener discretion is advised. Do what must be done, Lord Vader. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Today we're discussing Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. No! <laughs> oh, we will. Yes! Yes, we will! Starring Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDermott, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz, directed by George Lucas. This is Arnie, the Now Playing Podcast co-host who also is the co-host of Star Wars Action News, the Star Wars Collecting Podcast. You can find it at SWActionNews.com. Co-host of Marvelicious Toys, the Marvel Collecting Podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. And sometimes reviewer at Books and Nachos, the book review podcast. You can find it at BooksandNachos.com. What I'm saying is I bring you podcasts! <laughs> Unlimited podcasts! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob. And you know, I think I'm getting the hang of this podcasting business. About time. It's only been like nine years for you, Jacob. <laughs> but the question is, is George Lucas getting any better in the Star Wars business? This is it. This is his last best chance to prove that the prequels were worth it. Episode three. A lot riding on this one. You got to admit. By Revenge of the Sith, they knew they had their mojo back because they had Darth Vader. I remember the leaked trailer they had at Show West where they took ACDC's Back in Black and showed Darth Vader rising from the table. I mean, with Vader back and with this relatively comparable success of Attack of the Clones versus the glut of Phantom Menace, they actually merchandised Revenge of the Sith almost as hard as Phantom Menace 
without the negative backlash. It succeeded where Phantom Menace failed. They had so many toys, so many food tie-ins, so much stuff. Yeah, but this is the first Midnight Madness I went to was for the toy line for Revenge of the Sith. It was a big rollout. It did seem like they were more confident. I think for non-Star Wars fans, there was still some trepidation, like... Star Wars fans are an easy lay when it comes to Star Wars films, but I had friends that weren't hardcore into Star Wars, and they're like, oh, those last two sucked. I don't even want to see Revenge of the Sith. So I think for the fans, yes, of course, this is the one with Darth Vader in it. For non-fans, though, I, there was some worry. Lucas still had to prove himself with this one. I didn't want to see it. I mean, I, I think I saw it in theaters with you, Arnie, because you made me, right? I grabbed you by the nape of your neck and dragged <laughs> you to a theater because, again, Still, we did not have digital theaters. You got to keep a bite. It's really been recent that digital theaters went everywhere. If I wanted to see this digital, if I wanted to see this crisp and clean and THX sound, I had to come up to Chicago and grab you and kidnap you and make you go with me. And I think we went with some friends of yours. I remember quite the field trip. Oh, yes. I remember that trip, too. Yes. I I remember taking the day off work to see this opening day. I went to the first showing. I was excited. I was still on that Attack of the Clones high back then because I was going to get all those answers in this one. Who is Sifo Dias? I was so excited. Took the day off work to go see this opening day. But you know what? This is the one I've seen the least. I saw it once in theaters and once when I bought it on DVD. And that's it. I have seen this movie so often. I saw it in theaters. I didn't try to do what I did with Phantom Menace, where I'm like, I'm going to see this every day. But we saw it at midnight, and we're like, that was really good. We went back the next day. But Stuart, I remember everything about this movie, but I'm more curious what you remember from our field trip. (laughs) Nothing from that actual experience. I do remember hanging out with you and those friends, the after party more than the movie. It just gets more and more vague. I feel like with each of these, even though it's closer proximity to when I last saw it, I remember less and less. Episode three. Okay, here goes. I remember that the Corn Wars were over by the start of this movie and that a bunch of stormtroopers are like flying back, returning victorious from the battlefield. And there's this really dizzying space battle with R2 flying a ship into a hangar. I remember thinking that was cool. There's a Darth robot that wheezes like Vader, but it's CGI and it has four arms and four lightsabers. Dooku does some really bad flips and he kills (laughs) Sam Jackson. Jar Jar screws something up in the Senate and hangs his head and maybe says three words, breaks nothing. It's really (laughs) remarkably restrained from Jar Jar. Liam Neeson returns as a ghost. Anakin gets cut up really bad inside a volcano by Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Natalie Portman dies giving birth to twins Luke and Leia. And when Anakin finds out, he puts on the Darth Vader helmet and very operatically screams, No! And that's it. I cannot remember a single detail. And of course, now that I've rewatched the movie, even some of these details I remember (laughs) didn't happen. Yeah, there's no stormtroopers cheering. (laughs) And did you say... Dooku killed Mace Windu. Yeah. Okay, I just want to be sure that's what you had said is Dooku. I knew it was an old dude. I'd forgotten (laughs) the scene that Mace Windu dies in, but man, I'll never forget it again. (laughs) Man, I gotta say, this one, it has the best... And the worst scene of this prequel trilogy in this. I feel like we get the highest highs and the lowest lows in this installment. 
Oh, I disagree. There is nothing in this movie like Jar Jar being farted on by an Eopi. I am interested to see what you're considering the lowest lows, because I do find faults with this one. Arnie, you could chill. It's not going to be like last week with Attack of the Clones. But <laughs> there are some low moments in this film. So I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to say, Stuart, that, that you think is worse than Jar Jar stepping in poo. I'll definitely point them out. Yeah, I was really hyped for this movie. In between episodes two and three, I got my first and second and third Star Wars tattoos. And I remember being so into all the Clone Wars stuff. As I mentioned last time when we reviewed Attack of the Clones, the licensing division was putting out all of the stories of the Clone Wars because this one starts with the end of the war. It was all put out through the books and the comics. And there was also a TV series, not the computer animated one. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But there was one headed up by Gennady Tartakovsky, who did Samurai Jack, and they, it was called a micro-series. I remember it was like three-minute-long episodes the first season. I remember rushing home from work to watch those on the Cartoon Network, and then they would make them available for download. And I remember downloading them and like editing my own mix of these cartoons. And then they did another season, I'm assuming because it was so popular, where they're more standard length, and it actually ties in right to the beginning of this film. And I rewatched that right before watching Revenge of the Sith this time, and man, I really loved that series. Like, that got me excited. That felt like Star Wars. Like, how I wanted to feel about Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I feel when I'm watching that Clone Wars series. And then the whole lead into Revenge of the Sith with all these Jedi trying to save Palpatine. Like, when we get to the opening crawl, we're going to find out he was kidnapped. You get to see that kidnapping here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and Grievous comes in and kills some Jedi and is a real badass and escapes with the Chancellor. It was exciting and really whetted my appetite even more for Revenge of the Sith. I'm like, they're kidnapping Palpatine? I stayed spoiler free, but knowing that that was the lead into the movie had me extraordinarily excited. I do have to ask, were they told that they had a tone down Grievous because he's going to be wheezing in this movie because right at the end like Grievous is about to get away and Mace Windu like reaches out and does this like force grab thing and like crushes his chest plate and he starts coughing was that a mandate from Lucasfilm it was a last minute addition that Grievous would be an asthmatic the entire movie was made without the intent of Grievous to be wheezing and coughing the entire time We'll talk about it more, but Lucas's intent with Grievous was to say, this is a precursor to Darth Vader. This is somebody who, according to EU, he wasn't human, he was an alien, but he had lost his body, but his brain and his vital organs remained, and he was in a robot, but the tech wasn't perfect yet. He was one step behind. The same way droids were worse than clones were worse than people, Grievous is worse than Vader in tech, and so he has trouble breathing. Yeah, that comes through pretty clear. So yeah, I do wonder, since that came in late in the post-production process, that that might have been a last-minute addition, like we need to explain it away. They also had an EU story where his lungs got damaged right before the battle as well, because they had all those books with Grievous in them, and there was no mention of him coughing, wheezing, gasping. But yeah, we could have reviewed that. That would have been... A interesting addition, and spoiler alert, far better than the Clone Wars we're actually going to be reviewing in two Oh, yes. Much, much better. Far better than any of the prequels we've seen. I'll, I'll just put that out there. Mm. But will this change your mind? Arnie, why don't you give them the plot we can get into Revenge of the Sith? It's been a long and brutal civil war for the Galactic Republic. The evil Sith Lord Count Dooku has marshaled the Separatist droids into a formidable army. 
Commanding this army is the new cyborg, General Grievous. When the movie starts, Grievous and his droids have successfully invaded the galactic capital of Coruscant and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine. The Republic clone Starfleet, led by General Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker, launch a rescue mission for the Chancellor. They successfully free the old man, but in a lightsaber battle, Anakin murders the helpless Count Dooku at the Chancellor's behest. I wonder if I used behest there because I was sub subconsciously behead. thinking behead. <laughs> Even though Dooku is dead, the Chancellor is not willing to declare the war over until General Grievous is captured. More, he's leery of the Jedi, believing they have a plot to overthrow the Republic and take control. As such, Palpatine asks the Council to appoint Anakin Skywalker, his trusted friend, to the Jedi Council to represent Palpatine with the Jedi. Yoda and Mace Windu reluctantly agree, but they do not bestow upon Anakin the rank of Master. This is particularly upsetting for the young Jedi, because his secret marriage to Padme Amidala has resulted in her being pregnant. And at night, Anakin has dreams of Padme dying during childbirth, much as he dreamt of his mother dying at the hands of the Tusken Raiders. When Obi-Wan Kenobi is chosen by the Council to go and capture Grievous instead of Anakin, the Chosen One's faith in the Council is shaken to the core. And when Palpatine starts luring Anakin with a story of a Sith Lord called Darth Plagueis the Wise, who had the ability to stop people from dying, Anakin started to become interested in the teachings of the Sith. But when Palpatine reveals he himself is a Sith Lord, Anakin does his duty and informs the Jedi Council. Mace Windu and three other Jedi, who I have action figures of, and I could tell you the names, but most listeners probably don't care. And they don't last very long, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> they do not live up to the hype I expected from the Clone Wars micro-series and all the action figures in the novels. They go to confront the Dark Lord, and the other three are felled before Mace disarms the Chancellor. However, Mace believes the Chancellor is in too much control of the Senate and the courts to be allowed to live, and wants to kill the Chancellor right there. Anakin, afraid to lose the knowledge of how to save Padme, defends the Chancellor, cutting off Windu's arm, and Palpatine uses Sith lightning to throw Mace out the window. <laughs> Windu? <laughs> Though Palpatine's own face is scarred from the battle. With Anakin now his pupil, Palpatine bestows upon Anakin a new name, Darth Vader. Vader's first order is to go to the Jedi Council and kill all the Jedi there, although he seems to focus only on killing the children, leaving the adults to the clones. <laughs> Meanwhile, across the galaxy, the Jedi in the field are slain when the Chancellor contacts the clone leaders and activates Order 66, the command to kill all the Jedi. Far away, Kenobi has been fighting with General Grievous. He slays the general and barely escapes the clone's attempt on his life. He steals Grievous's starship and contacts Senator Bail Organa, played by Jimmy Smits, and they meet up with Yoda. As there is a beacon to all the Jedi at the temple, Yoda and Obi-Wan go to change the message to a warning. But while there, Obi-Wan watches the security video and discovers Anakin's betrayal and new Sith identity. Yoda goes to confront Palpatine, who has now reorganized the galaxy and declared himself Emperor and Obi-Wan follows Padme to Mustafar, a lava planet where Anakin has been sent to kill all of the Separatist leaders. Seeing Obi-Wan with Padme, Anakin believes his wife is involved in a plot against him and starts to force choke his pregnant wife. This leads to a lightsaber fight with Obi-Wan, which ends when the Jedi Master cuts off Anakin's arms and legs and then leaves him to die alone in agony from third-degree burns. Yoda, meanwhile, goes to battle the Emperor literally in the Galactic Senate, but the fight ends in a stalemate with Yoda deciding he must retreat into seclusion. Yeah, luckily it was lunch break or recess or something. 
<laughs> you know how politicians are. <laughs> Good thing no one left their briefcase behind and had to come back and get it. <laughs> the Emperor races to Mustafar to save his new apprentice and has his droids outfit Darth Vader with a breathing suit and artificial limbs to continue his duty as a Sith apprentice. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan and Yoda are helpless but to watch as Padme appears to have lost her will to live and dies during the birth of her twins. Bail Organa offers to adopt the girl Leia, and Obi-Wan takes the boy Luke to his aunt and uncle on Tatooine, where Obi-Wan will stay to watch over the boy as credits roll. I'm just going to state right up front, that is a dense plot summary, and I believe the biggest failing of Revenge of the Sith is trying to squeeze what should have been two movies into one, whereas the biggest failing of The Phantom Menace is trying to squeeze what should have been a half an hour of a movie into two hours. Well, I kind of feel the same way with Attack of the Clones. Like, are those really necessary by the time we see this one? I, I feel like the prequels, here's your job. One, to show us Darth Vader become Darth Vader. That's why we're all here. But yeah, show us some world building. Show us the Republic turn into the Empire. So you want to see those things like where do stormtroopers come from and these wars break out. But I, I agree, so much time has been wasted up to this point that by the time we get to this opening crawl, war, it declares war, but it's ending pretty soon. <laughs> this is perhaps the worst opening crawl of the Star Wars saga. Heroes on both sides, evil everywhere. What does that even mean? Where are the heroes on the Separatist side? I even watched the Clone Wars micro series. I never saw the heroes on both sides. I'm still trying to determine who the heroes is, clones or droids. <laughs> I don't want either. Yeah, we're also, just like we were introduced to Dooku in the last one, here we're introduced to Grievous. At least we're not going to have to wait like an hour and a half to see him. We're going to get to him pretty quickly here. On the one hand, part of me is frustrated that it starts with a major thing, an invasion of the galactic capital. Sure, we had the Clone Wars micro series, but I didn't feel it did it enough justice to really sell this. But like always with Star Wars, or at least every good Star Wars film, I don't think Attack of the Clones did this for us, we're dropped right into the middle of the action. He's already been kidnapped, the same way Leia had already stolen the Death Star plans, and we get into, honestly, what I find to be the best space fight sequence of the Star Wars saga. The way the war drums come, the way the camera pans down, and you not only see the precursor to the Star Destroyer, but it's above Coruscant. And my God, how ILM has improved their graphics between 1999 and now. This is stunning, and I can't wait. I hope to God that they show the 3D conversion of this, because I bet this would be awesome in 3D. Yep, no argument for me. I mentioned that this has the best and the worst of the prequel trilogy. This is the best. Best space battle, I think you're right, of the whole six movies, really. Yeah, I will say the best looking. One of my things that I felt is missing from these prequels are, are the passion and the emotion. Like, I love the emotional impact of that final Return of the Jedi space battle on the music, but I can't deny, when those you hear those war drums, and, and it's just silent except for those drums, and you pan down, and you see this massive battle, then Anakin and Obi-Wan fly in, and you, it just explosions everywhere. This is exciting stuff. This It's great looking, and it's exciting. It's got a different vibe to it, too. I mean, I really feel like... 
you know, when we see Anakin, he's let his hair grow long. He seems more relaxed. It seems like a like a more natural performance than what we got last week. The color schemes are different. There's like mauves. <laughs> I've never seen the color mauve in Star Wars before. But yeah, there's like these purples and blues and yellows. I'm like, it just feels like Lucas is going to just go for something totally different. It really, it sets a great mood for, for what we're getting. I don't want to really think about the last two movies. So if they're just going to get in here and make the prequel one essential film, I think that's a great idea. I do feel a little bit cheated that we didn't get to see the Clone War. We got to see the first battle. We got to see the last battle. But that great Clone War, I'd imagined for 20, 30 years, never really was delved into, except at that point in the micro series. Perhaps I'll be unwishing that wish in two yeah, weeks. When you get sick when you get six seasons. <laughs> I'm like, we're getting it. I don't know what you're talking about. It's on the schedule. I'm talking about my reaction when this movie came out, though. But... I like that Anakin now has like a scar over his eye. It shows they've seen combat and they are the worst for wear. But yet he and Obi-Wan and I love the novelization. Matthew Stover really fleshed out the story. There were a lot of scenes cut out of this for time. There was just cut down to action. And if you read that novel, it makes this seem almost like a highlight reel. You see all the action here. But the book is a lot of motivations, and it talks about the very first chapter, how the people of Coruscant were worried about the invasion, but Obi-Wan and Anakin were heroes of the Republic. And all of the Holonet news articles would talk about Anakin and Obi-Wan, Kenobi and Skywalker, wherever they went, there was victory. And so they looked to the skies knowing they were safe with Obi-Wan and Anakin up there. That just, it builds so much more in that novel to what we see here, and they intertwine so well well that it shows these two have a camaraderie and a friendship that really this movie is going to end and getting that is so important to the emotional journey of the film it's the exact opposite of what they were doing the last movie last time i felt it was a lot of bickering and chastising of anakin and now i really feel like obi-wan is impressed he's been won over yeah, there, there's still a little bickering going back and forth, but it's nowhere at the Attack of the Clones level. And I think Ewan McGregor, he feels more relaxed again in this. Like, I, I like the vibe he brings back to Obi-Wan that I felt was missing with Attack of the Clones. The, the, all this banter as they're in their starfighters trying to get to Grievous's ship, those little buzz droids that break out. I, I feel so bad for R4 when he gets his head cut off and you see that dome fly off. I, I love all this little banter with Anakin going and trying to shoot them off and, and knock them off and save Obi-Wan. Fun stuff. You want to set a mood of excitement. You want to set the tone. This is a good tone. I mean, that they're still friends, that the war is over. What's going to happen? I mean, I presume that it was the war that would really harden Anakin. I mean, again, he let his hair go long. He's got the scar, as you point out. He seems a little war weary, but he isn't evil or, or even cynical at this point. No, he is still a little cocky, but here we finally get to see that great pilot Alec Guinness was talking about in episode four when those buzz droids come out. And I love the various types of ships on both sides, the fighters all over and the buzz droids as a great concept and how Anakin has to shoot them off Obi-Wan's ship and messes it up and all of that to get on board Grievous's ship. Just so exciting. And it doesn't stop when they get on board. This is not going to be a new hope where they're going to sneak around in clone outfits or droid outfits 
to get somewhere. They come in lightsabers blazing. I got to ask you, though, what, once they get on Grievous's ship, they're going to go on an elevator. R2's all left to himself. You said Kenny Baker's in this. I only see a CG R2. Is, is there any real R2 in this movie? Every movie, there is one shot where they put <laughs> Kenny Baker in an outfit. Just so they can say that they did it? Yeah, just so they can continue to credit him as being one of the only two actors to be in the entire saga. Kenny Baker and Anthony Daniels, I believe, are the only two actors who did all six movies. I don't know if this is a low point for you, Stuart, but when those super battle droids, like, I have not liked the voices of the battle droids, Roger, Roger, now these super battle droids come out. <laughs> the ones with the broken hand? What that? That nothing. Did they go to Thunderdome? Is that where they learned their English from? From Master Blaster? <laughs> but there are not clones on both sides, so if you're seeing Tamira Morrison, you know he's a good guy, at least for now. That stormtroopers aren't wearing their white helmets yet, and that they're flying around with our Jedi friends. And I don't know, are we supposed to like them? Are we supposed to be invested in them? I feel like this is a mistake. Like, I get it. They're clones. They're expendable. Obi-Wan at one point is like, nope, let them die. That's their, They're doing their job, yeah. so we could do ours. But... I think that would be the case of even if they were human. I think that if you are in a battle, like think back to the end of A New Hope, when you have a giant mission that is of utmost importance, if your wingman is behind you and is going to sacrifice his life so the mission can be completed, that's the job of a wingman. Biggs died, Wedge got injured, Red Five died, Gold Leader died. The clones died. I don't think he's treating the clones unfairly so much as focused on saving the Chancellor. I think because of what's going to happen once Order 66 comes around, I don't know. I want to see, are, is the resentment from the clones? We'll talk about Order 66 when we get there, but I, I wanted to see a relationship with these clones because of what would happen later on. And I just feel like they're like the droids. They're just as expendable to these Jedi. Yeah, and that seems to be a real mistake. Again, Star Wars, we want to be invested in the battle lines. We want to root. And and the only ones they're giving us to root for are the Jedi. I don't feel like if the intent was for us to like these clones, yeah, they just feel like we can kill them even though they're human because there are so many of them. And so, yeah, they have the same disposability of a robot. And that just, it means that we're, we're watching toys fight toys. And I think that that just makes, it's probably a good thing we didn't see the Clone Wars, Arnie, because I think that would be a very uninteresting war to watch. Well, it's funny because when they got to that CGI animated series, they would do whole episodes of just the clones and they gave them personalities and names. Oh. And you do draw close to them. Like they become main characters. Okay. So they do do that. Yeah. Okay. They'd have to because you can't watch two inanimate objects go at each other and, and pick a side. I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, maybe in pro wrestling, but other than that, I can't <laughs> think of when people pick two robotic things going at each other and, and having a favorite. And that was kind of my problem, especially it started with Revenge of the Sith, but it also happened during the Clone Wars cartoon, is they're clones. In the original saga, Stormtroopers wore white. Sure, if you were a special operative, like in snow or in a forest, you had other outfits, but Stormtroopers wore white. In Attack of the Clones, I was able to go with, okay, clones have rank, and so they have color based upon rank. They even had that in A New Hope. The Sand Troopers had different colored pauldrons. Okay, I'm fine with it. In this one, what the hell's with the clone individuality, where every clone battalion, or even every clone himself, has this unique 
flipping armor. Is it literally to sell me the toys that I bought yes. so many of because I bought four of every clone? You need a 501st trooper. You need a shock trooper. You need a Kashyyyk trooper. Commander Cody. General Gree. I didn't notice a difference. Not much. You didn't notice? Yeah, they, yeah, come on, Stuart. They had orange ones. They had camo ones. They had ones with red flare. The blue ones that accompanied Anakin. There was so much individuality of clones that I'm like, doesn't that kind of undermine clone? The fact that they're all supposed to be clones to make them all individual. But I did like how the Clone Wars did make some of them important and like real characters who stood apart from the others, even though they were all voiced by D. Bradley Baker. So you do get that. And Lucas was very much in control of Clone Wars. So it's probably he who brought that view. But here, the clones don't do a lot. And because of the betrayal that comes later in the film, I think it would have been nice to have one, maybe that Commander Cody that Obi-Wan banters with for 30 seconds, do something heroic have a storyline of his own, have him accompany them on the ship so that we see a camaraderie with the clone to up the betrayal later. Yeah, Reef said we needed a Han Solo in this series. Have it be a clone. Have some friendship there. I I think that would have, again, I want some emotional impact. I know Darth Vader's going to turn into Darth Vader here, but I want to, like, feel for that. I want to feel something that I haven't felt in the last two films. But in truth, it's almost like the real characters aren't fighting. I mean, the Jedi are only here because they have a top-secret mission. These clones are getting them inside this ship so they can rescue Palpatine, but they themselves, I don't assume they're going around getting involved in skirmishes. I mean, that's for the clones to fight. No, in the car, they are the leaders of the clones. They are the generals. Why would they do that? I mean, why don't they sit back and just watch the clones fight? Because the Jedi were, Arnie knows the exact phrasing, but they were the protectors of the Republic for a thousand generations. The Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy. Now, in episode one, I kind of liked what Qui-Gon said. We can only protect you. We can't fight a war for you. But yes, in this case, they are fighting that war as the leaders. Every time there's clones, the Jedi is their commander. I mean, that's fine to have a commander. But to me, that's like we have an army of drones and we're going to sit back in the control room and pilot them around to, to fire at things. I don't know why you'd put yourself in harm's way, except in special circumstances, like we got to rescue the Chancellor. Who, of course, we're going to find out, has connived this whole situation. He had himself kidnapped. For what purpose? Is the purpose to make Anakin kill Christopher Lee? I think so. Yeah, that's how I take it. I I don't, you know, okay, you talked about those ridiculous flips that Christopher Whoa. Lee stunt double does. Mm. It, yeah. It, no, Christopher Lee's computer generated form does most of them. Yeah, nobody did those flips. True, that's true. They put his face onto some CGI. Yeah. But yeah, they have this fight. Obi-Wan goes out again quickly like a punk, just like he did last time. In a horrible CGI. One of the worst CGI things is where that CGI walkway supposedly falls on CGI Obi-Wan and then they slide out. That looks every bit as bad as Han dodging Greedo's blast. <laughs> but then Anakin, they, they have a little fight. He cuts off Dooku's hands. And what is that look that Dooku gives the Chancellor? Like, are you actually going to let him do this? He gives this look, but he doesn't say anything. The Dooku has been lied to. I love the way George Lucas described the Sith, is that it's like a bad marriage where the two are together. Because as Yoda said in Phantom Menace, always two, 
there are. But they're both spouses trying to cheat on the other one to find a better replacement. And so Dooku in the novels, and we'll see it in the Clone Wars series, had his apprentice, and Sidious was planning on replacing Dooku with Anakin. Well, this was fleshed out in the novel. Dooku knows everything. He knows Palpatine is Sidious, and he thought the whole plan was get Anakin alone, convert him to their side, so now there will be three of them. But Palpatine always knew. But Dooku's got to know the rule of two. Well, apparently not. (laughs) And so Palpatine knew that one of the next steps to getting Anakin on his side is to slaughter Dooku. And we saw in the last movie, we didn't discuss it, there was that one scene filmed as a pickup in the second shooting schedule where Anakin and Palpatine are just kind of hanging out in his office chatting. They're friends. And here we find out Anakin told him about the Tuscans. So he knows that Anakin's ready to kill, he's on the dark path, and he's manipulating the boy to make him his servant. And I feel like I understand this scene because I saw Return of the Jedi and the whole time they're trying to tempt Luke to kill the Emperor and that is the path to the dark side. I I understand this scene because I saw that movie and that movie does it so much better that when you give into that anger and you kill, even if it's for just purposes, it, it will start you on the path to the dark side. What I don't get is like Anakin kills him. Then he's just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oops. Well, my question is, If you are heading more and more towards the dark side, are you more and more stupid? (laughs) Exactly. I I show him like reveling in that. Like, yeah, that's one for the Republic, bro. No, it's but it's supposed to be a descent into it. He's supposed to be a good character who was seduced by evil. So therefore, if he's a good person, he would have remorse. He would do it. But we saw him have remorse after the Tuscans. He is not fully evil. Yet, we'll see it later this movie, where he'll slaughter without any thought. Yeah, but this script and this actor can't pull that. But here, yeah, he kills Dooku. And this is the first PG-13 Star Wars film, I might add. And I think the complete dismemberment of Count Dooku. He loses both hands and then his head probably had something to do with that. Yeah, there's a lot of limbs lost in this film. Yeah, they can't not. I realize now that's that's just a thing of this franchise is that they you lose a hand. If you play with a lightsaber, one day you're going to lose your hand. It just you can't keep them both. But the escape with Palpatine's kind of funny. It does make me wonder how they don't realize he's a Sith when he's doing flips like they are while falling down an elevator shaft. Or the fact that he's like, leave Obi-Wan behind. We don't have time to rescue him. Yeah, they're really tipping their hand. I would say that even if you hadn't guessed in the first two movies, just the way that they they walk into the room where he's being kept and he turns in his chair, this swiveling chair. I mean, he looks, all he needs is the hoodie. I mean, he looks just like the Emperor at that point. It's a dark room. He's not looking like a prisoner. He's looking like he's on a throne. Yeah, it is almost identically the same chair that he had in Return of the Jedi. And when Obi-Wan and Anakin walk in, he rotates, just like the Emperor did in Return of the Jedi. Maybe this is where he fell in love with the chair. He's like, oh, this is comfortable. We need to (laughs) get this one to the Death Star. Work it into the blueprint. Oh, it's Ekernes? Let's get the Ekernes chair there with the rotating feature. No cuffs, though. I don't want to be restrained. (laughs) But I know this went on longer. Like, wasn't Shakti, one of the Jedi, supposed to be killed by Grievous? They'd see her execution, and they're swimming around through water cooling devices. Like, this went on for a really long time in in the original 
imagining of it. There was this Jedi Shakti, and they filmed her dying twice in this movie. Initially, she was going to be killed by General Grievous while Anakin and Obi-Wan were helpless but to watch to prove General Grievous was really a badass. And then Lucas decided he didn't like it, got the actress back in makeup, and was going to have Anakin kill her on Coruscant. Then he didn't like that either, and so she ended up theoretically living through this movie. Grievous, I gotta ask, Arnie, you were so in love with Maul. Uh, does this Darth do it for you? I don't love when he speaks. I know the guy who <laughs> did the voice, I've met him several times, Matthew Wood, nice guy, but what lines they gave Grievous and what storylines they gave Grievous were not worthy. There are moments of greatness, and I find that character design to be awesome. Just incredibly awesome, especially when he goes four arms later. But why does he collect lightsabers? Okay, he's kind of treating them like scalps. And the various lines he has, Jedi scum, it just it doesn't necessarily work. He does come off more cartoon than evil. And I'm wondering if that's because he's mostly CGI. I, I kept wondering, why isn't this guy scary? He should be. But Maul had more presence because he was a human being. There was a guy playing him. And you felt that. And with this creation, it really does feel like just as impersonal as a, as a droid. And also that they've labeled him a coward. He always runs. And because they cut the Shakti death, in this entire movie, we never see him succeed in anything. <laughs> Yeah, which is such a disappointment coming off that Clone Wars animated series because he was truly a badass in that series. Like, I, I think that is why I am so disappointed with them coming with the expectations from what they showed prior to this movie. Yeah, he's not imposing in the way that you need, but I do get one important detail out of him is the war will not be won until he goes down. So the fact that he escapes and that they don't get him in this means that the Clone War, for whatever, you know, you want to call it, they've mostly won, but they really can't, you know, raise the flag until he goes down. And everybody kind of knows Palpatine's fudging with this. They state that his term limit is up. But he's still Chancellor. He's gotten more and more emergency powers, probably due to people not Jar Jar this time. And yeah, Jar Jar's not in this. Like we see him, I think once, <laughs> but he does he speak at all? He steps on Orn Ta, who's the fat Twi'lek. Steps on Orn Ta's foot and says, "Excuse me," as they're walking away after Anakin has landed and met with the Senate there. Oh, I didn't even see him until the funeral march. He is here, he is in the background, and this is his only line is, excuse me, poor, poor Jar Jar. <laughs> not excused. Did they get Ahmed Best back for that? You're not squeezed. I'm sorry. We'll never, we'll never forgive him. I felt so bad for Ahmed Best of what happened to Jar Jar thanks to fan hatred. No, thanks to the horrible characterization done by George Lucas unfettered. This is also where we get to see the return of Natalie Portman as Amidala. And man, if Jar Jar got the shaft in this trilogy, I think Portman should be equally mad. In the first movie, she is the queen. She is hardened. She is ready to lead her people into battle. And she grabs a gun and fights herself. In the second film, yeah, she's on the run a bit, but by the end, she picks up a gun and is fighting next to the Jedi in the Geonosis battle arena. Here, they literally went with the barefoot and pregnant trope, and she does nothing. She is simply a prop. And 
I know that Marjorie was really upset because she looked up to Princess Leia so much as a kid because she was a tough woman in the Star Wars films, and she wanted Leia's mother to be as tough, and this movie just completely undermines it. Her whole role is to be a broodmare. Hey, she gets the Leia buns, though. I mean, she does get to rock the donuts on each side of her head, but, uh, (laughs) you know... I think it's fine. I was just wondering how she hid this pregnancy. Like, she's hidden the marriage, and now, like, she is a full nine months pregnant in this. She's got, like, two pillows up her costume. But, Stuart, I feel like what happens to Padme kind of happens to Anakin. I feel like the first half of this movie, he's just kind of running around between the Jedi Council and Palpatine, and not a whole lot's going on with him. Like, they gotta wait until the end for him to do anything here, and you feel that. I mean, R2 and C-3PO are barely in this film, Padme, yeah, she doesn't do a whole lot. It's weird that they got to cram so much in here, and a lot of the main characters have so little to do for the first half. I guess I don't have a problem with it because I'm like, yes, can we please focus on Vader? We must tell the Vader story. She is, we know what she's going to do. We know exactly who she's pregnant with. I mean, this is now closing the loop. But the first trilogy was the adventures of Luke Skywalker, but they didn't give Han and Leia the total shaft in Return of the Jedi. They might not have had the most interesting interpersonal plot lines, but at least they did things to aid the rebellion. She literally does nothing. And it's part of the problem is this edit. Because do you remember, specifically Stuart, at the middle of Return of the Jedi, when that woman comes out and talks about how many Bothans died to get them the information of the second Death Star. And she's probably the least remarkable of the three speakers because you got Admiral Akbar going. Mon Mothma. Yeah, Mon Mothma's her name, but I was just asking if Stuart remembered her at all. No. Okay, well, she <laughs> is, according to Expanded Universe, I guess Lucas must have said something sometime. She is the leader of the rebellion. Well, she was in this movie as was Bail Organa and a number of other people who had many scenes with Padme discussing Palpatine, his powers, his betrayals. And we were supposed to see in this movie not just the beginning of Darth Vader, but the beginning of the rebellion as the upper echelon of the rebellion formed. And Padme, she may not have had action scenes, but she was supposed to be vital to that formation of the rebellion. Hence why Bale is such a major part of it, despite being from a peaceful planet, is his relationship with Padme. They cut all of that out. And as such, we are left with a nothing, paper-thin character that deserves better after three movies. I get what you're saying to a degree, but I didn't need more Moth Mothma or whatever the hell her name (laughs) is. I mean, this movie has one job and Moth Mothma ain't it. Lucas agrees with you. How do you feel now that you and Lucas are on the same page? (laughs) I'm glad. I want to be on Lucas's page. I want to be agreeing with his artistic choices. Technically, he wants Lucas to be on his page, I think. Yes. Yes. I don't have the answers to these stories. It's not like I had a lot of predetermined ideas about how Darth Vader came to be. I have no idea what he wanted to do. I just know that he hasn't been doing it in a long while. And now, you know, it's very obvious that he's under the influence of Palpatine and that the war hasn't done the trick. Even killing Dooku hasn't done the trick. It's going to take something big. And they start to tease it here. I gotta ask, does Anakin ever have a good dream? And can Anakin ever (laughs) dream about Jar Jar? Because, you know, 
I'd be okay with him dreaming about Jar Jar dying, but... We talked about that. Lucas wanted it to happen until... Yes. Is this a dream, though, or is it a forced premonition? I, I know you probably don't care about the difference. Well, I, I get that it's a I, premonition. Or rather, the fact is it could very well be a premonition, and that's why he's so scared about it. it because we're told by Yoda in Empire Strikes Back, when Luke sees his friends dying, the future is always in motion. And, and so I'm wondering if we're actually seeing the Force what these Force users see at this point. I, I just want to know, did he ever think about taking Drew an obstetrician? You know, like, he's so worried about the health <laughs> and the prophecy and all of that. He didn't know they were having twins? He didn't know, like, how far along she was? Uh, what is healthcare like in this futuristic past? Like, they have lightsabers <laughs> and hover cars, but really bad healthcare, I guess. They don't have Lamaze class. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I don't understand why, if you're concerned about your wife's pregnancy, you go to a doctor. I don't understand why, why he can't have some of these fears assuaged. Why he would go to the dark side instead of going to the doctor is a real head-scratcher. I had the same question back when this movie came out, but it's the force that was going to kill Padme. He was looking for a mystical solution. He had lost his mother, and he wasn't able to stop that. I get desperation in him, and I think, again, the novelization does a much better job of selling that desperation as part of the reason why he's so eager to turn. Here, we know he wants to save Padme, but we don't see that link as often. Although you mentioned Yoda, Jacob. This is the moment where I'm like, what is up with the Jedi? Maybe I'm just too attached to things. But Anakin, after having that dream, goes to see this wise Jedi Grandmaster. Oh, this, this scene is frustrating. Oh, Yeah, go ahead. I know where you're going. <laughs> and Yoda's like, when your friend dies, mourn them not, miss them not. Wanting them to still be alive is the shadow of greed. How does Yoda not sense that Anakin is grieving over a woman who is his wife at this point? Like, Yoda, I, I know we were told last week that their powers are diminishing, but come on, they couldn't have diminished this much. No, what's diminished is my love of Yoda. I used to like this character, but he is really <laughs> annoying in this movie. Like, all his Yoda-isms, the way he inverts, like, they're really overdoing that now. The fact that he can never grammatically say anything correctly is really irritating. Well, the novelization, Jacob, said that Yoda assumed the person Anakin wasn't mentioning was Obi-Wan. He assumes too much. Well, yes, but that is where that was going. But I'm sorry, how could anyone really care about someone and when they die go... All right, life goes on. Not going to mourn him. Not going to miss him, lest I be greedy. <laughs> and no wonder you want to be a Sith. I mean, at least they have compassion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like my dog died earlier this year, and I was torn up for like two months, and I'm still not over it. I'm not going to sit around. Yeah, mourn him, not miss him, not. Yeah, it, I love that dog. What the hell? Let alone a person. That is horrible advice. It is undoable advice. Maybe there is some Buddhist religion that really teaches that. But man, I cannot get over the lack of empathy 
and the lack of desire to keep those you love alive. Yeah, and he's also backpedaling on the prophecy. I mean, they're like, oh, the prophecy says that Anakin's going to destroy the Sith, and Yoda's like, well, we could have misread it not right. You know, I'm like, what? Yes. What? What, are, what do you mean? You're a fraud. Why not go back and reread it then? Why not pull it out of those archives? Get that librarian out. You are a fraud, Yoda. I hate you. This prequel series has turned me from a character I liked in the original to one I absolutely, I mean it, I really hate him in this prequel trilogy. I do not feel that strongly. I just don't like his discussion and advice here because, you know, I don't fill out census reports saying I'm part of the Jedi religion. But up until this conversation, it seemed like something good to atone for. Use power for knowledge mm-hmm. and defense, meditate. Applicable messages. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's gone, you know, as Padme will say, you've gone to a place I cannot follow. Yeah, agreed. Uh, They deserve to fail. When you are this disenfranchised and a mess and unempathetic and all, I am hoping this council collapses. I I think it deserves to. Something better should come along. But... Anakin is also friends with Palpatine. So he's going to everybody. He goes to Yoda. He goes to Palpatine. Well, that's why he gets the promotion, right? It's because all of a sudden he's like on the council, but not on the council. You're not a master, but you're going to be a mole. And why wouldn't Palpatine totally suspect that? But Palpatine placed him as his mole. So he's like a (laughs) triple agent. So everyone just ignore Anakin, I think is really the lesson. We don't know if he's the chosen one. We He's not really trustworthy. And I think if you just ignored Anakin and didn't put him on anyone's mole list, none of the bad things would happen. Well, and I love the council. Like, they don't want him on there. And they're like, okay, well, we'll let you on the council, but you can't be a master. And Anakin's like, what? And I'm waiting for Mace Windu to go, say what one more time. <laughs> but, but like, he's like, again, this is just so, oh, look at he's fighting with the council because we know he's going to be evil and Darth Vader. And like, everything's just forced and crammed into this. None of this feels natural mm-hmm. at this point to me. Yeah, I agree that this is this kind of stuff I like in a conspiracy thriller is, is the turning of the sides and watching people have to choose, make difficult choices about who they align with. I don't feel like that's happening here. I think it's pretty obvious that really all of these people deserve to, to fail. And again, the intent behind this and that was fleshed out more in the novel is Anakin didn't want to be a master just because he was bucking for a promotion and that extra 5% pay. I mean, he wanted to be a master because he felt there were secrets the Jedi were keeping from him that would help him defend Padme. And so that's the only thing that really excited him about being on the council is learning the deepest, darkest Jedi secrets. And when they say, you get to sit in the chair, but you don't get the power and title that comes with it, is when he's upset, not for him, but for Padme. And then that's why Palpatine suddenly becomes a little bit more attractive. But Palpatine's insidious, you know, well, hell, Darth Sidious. But the way he's like, well, if they don't send you after Grievous, I really question their judgment. Of course, they're not going to send this guy who's not even a master to go after their biggest foe. And especially someone who they've now tasked secretly. Again, the Jedi aren't even following their own rules. They're giving off-the-record secret orders for him to spy on Palpatine. And what's so weird is that, like, Anakin, I can't tell if this is just, I don't know what this is, but, like, at times he's, like, so strict, you gotta follow the rules, but it's like, dude, you banged a chick and married her and got her pregnant. Like, 
you're not one for following the rules. Why are you such a stickler now and you're arguing with Obi-Wan over this or Mace Windu over that? Like, oh, we, we got to follow these strict rules. Well, you never followed the rules. So why do you care? Why did he first take the Palpatine? Can someone remind me? What the initial... I mean, he spent all this time with Obi-Wan. Why he wouldn't trust him, his judgment. Obi-Wan doesn't like Palpatine. Why he would go against that at this point. Was there a moment where Palpatine won him over? Right at the end of The Phantom Menace is the first time Palpatine and Anakin meet. And knowing that Palpatine's a Sith Lord, he is now aware of the prophecy and that this boy had the force with him to go and destroy the droid control ship. And he goes, I will watch your career with great interest. And that's, you know, of course, a clever line to the audience, like, ha ha, this is him keeping an eye on his apprentice. But it really is. And that's what that scene in Attack of the Clones was to show, is that they'd become friendly. Hell, Palpatine is inviting him to the opera. (laughs) Is that an opera? It just looked like a bunch of bubbles. That is an opera. And did you see George Lucas there? He cameos yep. in blue makeup, looking like a Smurf as a opera goer. And yes, I now have a George Lucas action figure. Technically, I have two. Cause you got a couple, I'm sure. Yeah, at three. Uh, my, my my eyes were on the bubbles. I couldn't understand why grown people would dress up to go see bubbles. Because the Mon Calamari, you remember Admiral Akbar? These are female Mon Calamari, and they, like, jump from bubble to bubble in some opera ballet. There's this, like, low-type mm, moaning going on during it. Oh, there's music. I couldn't, I didn't hear that. I didn't notice any of the music. I got to say, John Williams, again, the only time I notice you is when you're doing stings from your original trilogy stuff. And they do that well here, but there's one piece of music I absolutely love that we'll talk about when we get to it. This opera is not it. This opera is almost as bad as the tuba solo from Jabba's Palace. I love that tuba solo. But okay, this (laughs) opera, here is my question, because this is where Palpatine comes out. I mean, I, I don't know why... Anakin doesn't catch on here. He's going to catch on later, but maybe you're right, Stuart. As you join the dark side, you get dumber. But Palpatine comes out here and, like, tells them this story about Darth Plagueis. Plagueis. (laughs) Plagueis. Plagueis. An obvious lie. I mean, why why don't you just call, like, Darth Liar? I mean, I mean, this is, uh, this couldn't be more of a wives' tale. Oh, 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 no, 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 Stuart. This is true. This is all true. Yeah, here's my question. Is Palpatine the apprentice that killed Plagueis in his sleep? Did Basically, is Palpatine the daddy of Anakin? Did he manipulate the midichlorians to create life as he learned from his master? All right, here's the, here's the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. But I'm going to say right now, this was a book written before the Disney buyout. It may be non-canonical. <laughs> but there is a book by James Luceno, a great man, fun guy, who loves Star Wars Expanded Universe and ties everything together. And with Lucasfilm approval and some words from Lucas himself, we got the story of Darth Plagueis. And yes, it is real. And I wondered, I wondered from the Phantom Menace, actually, if it would turn out that Sidious was the baby daddy. But what it appears to be, and it's been a couple years since I read the book, but Plagueis was a Sith Lord, and he was the one who came back and started to resume the rule of two. Now, ironically, he was a banker 
So he, A, he was wealthy, which helps with Sith Lord activities, but B, it meant he was one of those skinny-headed guys like we saw at the end of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I was going to say, was he really one of those guys? Yeah, one of the, the banking clan will oh, join you. I yeah, hate that he, design. Yeah. I just want you to know that I don't understand a word you're saying, but it's okay. Please keep going. I'm sure <laughs> it will make sense eventually. I just want to point out, I have no idea what happened before Phantom Menace. I know that there was something called Sith that used to be in control that were no longer in control, but Plagueis and, I mean, none of this means anything. But uh, please keep going. All right. Well, according to this book, Plagueis corrupted Palpatine and realized he had force ability and made Palpatine his apprentice. And Plagueis was obsessed with the secrets of midichlorians and extending life and creating life. And much like every Sith, he had a problem that ended up making him with a breathing mask. And he was trying to use the Force to overcome that. But here's the mind-blowing thing in this book. Spoiler alert. Plagueis didn't die until after the Phantom Menace. And during the Phantom Menace, Sidious was still the apprentice Sith. And like I said about the cheating spouses, Darth Maul was just their weapon, but Sidious was scheming to off his master, and then Maul would be his apprentice, but Maul got cut in half before he could do that. So thus, Darth Maul was never officially a Sith, and Plagueis was pulling the strings throughout all of The Phantom Menace. It's kind of a mind-blowing revelation, the way Lucino tells it. Is Plagueis the daddy, or do we just not know? What? Whose daddy are we talking about? Anakin! Anakin's. Because uh, my reading from this scene is that it's the implication is that Sidious is the father of Anakin, that he manipulated midichlorians to create life, and that was Oh, Anakin. I didn't even think about that. Okay. And... What did happen in the book is he was experimenting with his force powers in the dark side, and it's kind of vague in the book. It's open to your interpretation. My interpretation is, because of balance in the force, he inadvertently caused an event across the galaxy that did cause the conception of Anakin Skywalker. So he did have the ability to control life. Sidious did kill him before learning all those secrets, and Plagueis inadvertently created the Chosen One. It's a really good book. It may not be canonical anymore, but it doesn't make it not worth a read for really fleshing out this story that Lucas never wanted to tell. Lucino had to pitch this story again and again. Lucas himself was like, no, no, mystery, mystery. I think Lucas started to care a little less at the end. I'm selling anyway. Go ahead, write your book. Yeah, I've seen this prequel trilogy. I know he started to care less. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure anything you said really changes the way that I'm feeling about things because, again, who are these characters? What was the world before episode one? I have no visualization of that. I'm not, I don't, I don't know what that means. All I know is that in this scene, it looks like Palpatine is really laying the evil on thick and Anakin should know better. I mean, Anakin should definitely know better that this promise that I can save your wife who's going to die from some ailment we can't even define because I'll teach you some skills. I mean, you better crack open. I want to know something now. Like, you mean, I, I don't want to like wait and find out she's going to, you know, give birth any minute here. I really don't think that we have time to, to do other things 
you you do this now and maybe I'll join you. That would be my attitude. This is the one thing that really kind of just irks me in a geeky way about this movie is, and I mentioned this before, the Sith have always been honest. They've never lied. They've never been duplicitous. It's been the good guys who lie. What I told you was true from a certain point of view, that kind of thing. Every step of the way, they may have some half-truths, they may have some secrets, but they're honest. But here Palpatine says that the apprentice of Darth Plagueis learned everything and then killed his master. But the moment he christens Anakin Darth Vader, together we can try to figure out what Plagueis knew. Oops, I don't know everything. (laughs) Tricked ya! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bad. He Again, people look really, really stupid. They got their pants down below their ankles. By the time this thing blows, I just, I really can't even believe it. But But I did enjoy the hook Darth Plagueis provides. It yet becomes another thing that the movies will not explain, right up there with Sifo-Dyas and all of that. But Hey, there's new movies coming. There's chances. And maybe they won't make him a banker. But it's not long after this that Anakin finds out that he is a Sith Lord. And Anakin does the right thing. He's like, I'm going to turn you in. This is, I don't know. I'm just so confused because he's fighting with the Jedi, but now he's turning tail to tell the Jedi that he... None of Anakin makes sense to me in this film. Like, he's just all over the place. I I think Stuart's onto something. As soon as he killed Dooku, like, his IQ dropped dramatically. I never saw him as that bright. (laughs) Well, that's the problem, and he gets even dumber. I see him as just reactionary again, trying to save Padme, and the steps he takes are better explained in the book about you know, the I've said this so many times, the motivations being fleshed out. But yeah, here he does the right thing. He goes to Mace Windu and the Jedi come and try to take over Palpatine. And yeah, three of those guys just go out like punks. I'm sorry. And Ian McDermott can't move much better than Christopher <laughs> Lee could. I mean, I he, love the way he hisses, though, as he's fighting, like he bears his teeth and he has a different fighting style. It's much more aggressive. Like he holds that saber like up over his head. It is fun. I like just how into the role he gets. He, he's going to go way over the top and then keep on going. And the voice that no, no, you will die. Just a whole lot of fun. And does he always keep a lightsaber up his sleeve? <laughs> Apparently, again, though, this is like Yoda busting out a lightsaber. Ah, oh, it's just like the most powerful people should have the lightning. I get he'll break out the lightning. Like, it's just him versus Mace. I do love that scene. Like, they're in front of the window and they slash the sabers and it bursts open. I, and there are some great looking scenes here. But then he pulls out the force lightning and we needed an explanation of how he got so old looking, I guess, because he fries himself. <laughs> I just thought he was old. I really just thought he was old. That's what I assumed. He was just an old guy in the the original trilogy. But no, he cooked himself, I guess. And it was because Mace Windu had the lightsaber so close to him that was absorbing the force lightning that it melted Palpatine's face, making me wonder, 
Could Yoda or Obi-Wan or somebody said, hey, by the way, when Palpatine pulls out that lightning, make sure you have your saber with you. Because if Luke hadn't thrown that down and been like, all right, I'm done with the saber, he could have just held it up. It appears to be a force (laughs) lightning rod and been just fine at the end of that movie. But Anakin this whole time, he's he's doing his pensive stare thing. He's sitting in the Jedi Council by himself. And again, I get we're supposed to he's supposed to be contemplating where it's cutting to Padme and he's worried about her, but he decides to hurt. It's weird that he's able to make it there by the end of the fight because that fight is so quick, especially how fast those first three Jedi go. Yeah, well, haven't you seen his piloting skills? (laughs) True. Okay, (laughs) he took a shortcut, jumped out of one speeder, landed on another. But this is the leap of logic. This is the moment. Killing Count Dooku kind of makes sense. I can understand it. But here, Mace Windu is his master, although I gotta say, in three movies, Sam Jackson, an actor I absolutely love, just fails to impress me time and time again. He's bad in all these. Yeah, I don't know why he's bad in these. He wanted to be in them. He petitioned to be in them. He got the purple saber he wanted, but his every line delivery in this is just not what you want. Couldn't you say that about most of the performances in this movie? Maybe it's not Sam Jackson's fault. Sam Jackson should be able to work with a non-actor director at this point and bring something of his own, unless he was literally told by the director, tone it down, tone it down. I mean, again, Lucas did take the best of every take and merge them together. Maybe he thought the best one was the 72nd take where Mace (laughs) is just kind of going through the motions. I get the sense that Jedi are like Vulcans. They're not supposed to emote, that they frown upon emotion. And so, yes, that they walk around not caring if they live or die, literally. But it's a huge leap for me that Mace Windu, who's like second in command of the Jedi is like, yeah, I'm just going to execute this guy right here, which is the thing that Anakin did earlier to Dooku that was supposed to be bad. Yep. Well, and we know there's like, this is the future. I mean, it's the past, but it's future tech. They have cameras. They could have just filmed all of this. And so even if they had to execute him, they'd have proof that he was a bad guy. And he pulled out Sith lightning. Like, that, that's the thing. It is a children's logic to this that if you think too hard, it just all falls apart because you're not supposed to think about that. I would hope that children's logic doesn't involve the courts are corrupt. <laughs> It falls apart, Jacob. This is the scene I'm talking about. I literally had to stop this movie and rewatch this three times <laughs> to try and understand what I was seeing. And I, I've just, I've been listening to you guys to see if maybe you can tell me something that will make this moment make sense. And there's nothing. Here's the thing. We haven't even got to the worst part for me is Anakin walks in, cuts off one of Mace Windu's arms. Yes, all this. Windu gets thrown out. And then Anakin's like, what have I done? (laughs) Okay, so what am I doing for you, Palpatine? What's next? What's on the agenda? Here, I pledge my life to you. Like, it's just like, wait, that's it? That's all it took to become Darth Vader? That's the moment? You would defend this wriggling maggot that's going, power! I mean, when do you not know you're Darth Vader? Unlimited power! <laughs> all right, a few things on this. First, the way I get it is Anakin was fine with Palpatine being arrested, so long as he wasn't killed so that Anakin could still learn from him the way to save Padme. And when Mace was going to kill him, he had to choose between doing what he wanted for Padme to save her life or following the Jedi Code. So he goes against Mace Windu. Now, does Hayden Christensen sell this scene? 
No. I think his acting in this is the second best I've ever seen him act. And I saw every <laughs> film he did from Life is a House all the way up through Jumper. But this scene, yeah, the what have I done is completely bad. Now, why does he immediately become willing to go from cutting off Mace Windu's arm to go and killing a whole bunch of children? Yes. Yes. Why doesn't he take arms against Sidious when Sidious is like, oh, yeah, I'm sure we could figure out the secret to life. I actually don't have it, but I know we could figure it out together. Sorry about that. That is outrageous. That is like finding out that, like, you paid all that money to get on the bridge and it's really just thetans and spaceships flying into <laughs> volcanoes. I mean, it's outrageous. This is the moment where you realize you've been tricked and you walk away. Not that you, like, sign up and go, okay. Well, there's two ways to look at this. The first is the entire Return of the Jedi theory, and this is the basis of Star Wars, and go with it or not. The basis is, if Luke killed Vader, boom, he's Palpatine's servant. Done. You are now dark side. That is all there is to it. And if you accept that logic, then here, Anakin killed Mace. Boom. You're now dark side. Team dark side. Wear the shirt. Get the cookies. And you are now known as Darth Vader. How is killing Darth Vader equivalent to killing Mace Windu? Either way, you're killing out of anger and hate and for greedy reasons. Which he's done. I assumed he did it in war, right? I mean, if they're flying around in war, killing things... I guess what? They're droids? They're always droids? But we've seen him do it to Tuscans. We saw him do it to Dooku yeah. in this film, and he didn't go evil right away. No, I, I needed to understand what the progression is. I think we need flowcharts, but you know what? It's okay. <laughs> I actually don't need the flowcharts. A flowchart won't help. I mean, go with it I or don't. It. This is the conceit. Yeah, I won't. And I'll just go with the power of the dark side, and Anakin wants to help his wife. That That immediately translates to infanticide is a huge jump. But it's at least a cool scene. Yeah, my problem is we were supposed to care about the redemption of Darth Vader and Return of the Jedi. How can you care about this guy now? He He's slaughtered an entire tribe of indigenous people. He has murdered children. He's going to kill his... Like, Lucas takes him so far in this one. If you try to go back and watch... If you watch this in the order, Lucas wants you to. You can't feel. You, you got no feels for Darth Vader when he shows up a, as a ghost at the end and he's supposed to be a good guy. He is so bad now. But he's supposed to be that bad. I always took Darth Vader as that bad. But don't ask for a redemption story for a child murderer. It's a tough call, but I always assumed Vader was that bad. I mean, Vader could be turning on the ovens at Auschwitz. He's that evil. Well, who cares if he kills kids if nobody really dies and they're all force ghosts? And if Yoda doesn't mind, I guess we shouldn't mind. But actually, they don't become force ghosts, though. They're dead dead. Really? It's discussed in this movie. Only Qui-Gon has been a force ghost. And unless you get trained in how to become a force ghost, you dead. But mourn them not. Miss them not. <laughs> yeah. Yoda seems to be mourning on when he sees the temple. I actually feel like him pulling the lightsaber in the temple was Lucas trying to say, I'm going to go there. That was him trying to say, I know that you have doubted me with all of the Jar Jar silliness, but I am capable of making this a really dark, dark tragedy. I just feel like tonally, in order to get there... We needed about 
40 minutes from being at the window to this. Agreed. I can't believe that, like, within a matter of minutes, he's gone from running to stop Palpatine to agreeing to massacre children. And this is why the jazz riffs of The Phantom Menace (laughs) piss me off. Because you could take The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, put them into one movie, and it would be just as good. Or not. But, however, I mean, it's just not as good if you didn't like those. But you wouldn't lose anything by tightening it up, removing the jazz riffs, and making that a more solid story. And then make this story two movies. Give us more character development and stop trying to hit every beat because you only have two hours and 20 minutes to do so. It feels so workmanlike that it's hard to get the enjoyment and leaves a lot of gaping motivation holes. Not plot holes, but motivation. Lucas had one job with this film. He only had to do one character arc, and that's for Anakin, from good to bad. We don't get an arc, we get a blip. It's like, at this singular point on the graph, everything changes. This is why this is the worst scene for me, worse than anything Jar Jar could do, is because this is so pivotal. This is such an important moment. I mean, who cares whether Jar Jar farts or not, but everyone cares about the moment that Anakin flips. And the way that it's presented here is you can't possibly have any empathy with his choice. I wish he had had a battle at the Jedi Temple. Again, he was supposed to kill Shakti. They cut that. And as it is, he lets the clones kill all the adults while he goes on and takes on the defenseless children. It does paint everything in the worst light and i think they did some cutting when he goes into that room with the children you gotta look hard and you gotta be on a big screen but there appear to be tears running down his face like he's upset about what he's doing but he's doing it anyway and of course none of the important jedi are at the temple they just have a whole bunch of kids there and bail organa shows up he's like the only one coming to the rescue the temple is burning padme's looking like well, that doesn't look so good. Only Bale decides to pull up and see if they need a fire extinguisher, and then the clones pull a gun on him. And doesn't George Lucas's son show up? Is this the one responsible for naming Jar Jar? Well, he, he has a lot of kids. His daughter was in this as another blue person at the opera and as a blue person in, with the senators earlier. But he shows up, and I kind of like his line there where it's time for you to go. And so it is. I like what he does with a nothing part. He is very good with what little he's given to do. You know, it shows you can act in a Lucas movie. You just have to choose to. Leave it to Smith's. If if this is what you're using as a a tentpole performance for this film, (laughs) it's desperate. (laughs) Jimmy Smith's the unsung hero of this movie, the way that Darth Maul was the complete focal point of Phantom Menace for you. I just, I I think that you find your moments to enjoy this movie, and I just don't, I don't ever hang on them the way that you do. I barely noticed Jimmy Smith's in this movie. I didn't even know why he was here until really the last seconds of the movie. Well, because Yoda's not around because he's friends with the Wookiees, so he had to leave. He couldn't be at the temple. Right, yeah. We can't have actual people that would have prevented the massacre from happening. We have bizarre reasons that the real tough guys aren't there. All right. This Wookiee planet, Kashyyyk, 
we had gone there before in the holiday special. I know we're reviewing it last because it just, it interrupts the flow to do Star Wars Holiday Special Empire. But yeah, we, we had to do those Ewok ones and they were bad enough. The Star Wars fans had found bootlegs of the holiday special and seen Kashyyyk. It looked very different than this. It looked a lot like Endor. They were living in the tops of trees and whatnot. But this battle really started to bother me back in the theatrical release because maybe you guys can tell me, maybe I'm wrong. But does what happens on Kashyyyk serve any purpose other than A, to sell me more toys, and B, to give Chewbacca a cameo, which I don't like. Yeah, and C, to get Yoda out of the temple. I couldn't understand why we were here. I thought that Grievous was somewhere else, and he was the last front of the battle. He was somewhere else. No, they dropped some excuse, oh, hey, the Wookiees are in trouble, and their planet's really important for some reason, so in the middle of all this, we gotta go help them. All right, and I have the out-of-movie reason for this, and that's because Lucas has paced this movie like a porno. You can't have a porno without a action scene every 10 minutes, and people complained so much about Phantom Menace and even more about Attack of the Clones, about how dry it was. Hey, I'm not complaining I'm bored this time, at least, <laughs> like Attack of the Clones, so he did something right. Yeah, and so what he did was because this is the long talky period where Padme's in ugly football headgear and Obi-Wan is talking to clones and Yoda saying, mourn them not, miss them not. They needed a big battle, and so they simply insert one, even though it has nothing to do with the plot, no reason to be here. It's like when the random cable guy shows up in that porno. What's he doing here? What does he have to do with the story? Nothing, but we needed that scene. It is just there so that the adrenaline junkies can't say that 20 minutes went by without an explosion. And it gives Yoda a reason to not be where he would actually be needed. Okay, he can be somewhere else. You can give the same exact line, good relations with the Wookiees I have. You don't have to spend 10 minutes showing us this battle with a whole bunch of basketball players in hair suits. Well, I think it's like five of them, and they're just cut and pasted all over the place. I mean, we are watching a cartoon for most of this film. Yeah, I didn't understand or really like any of this. I mean, I'm okay with Chewbacca, but I feel like him being in here might be the worst addition. It was the least necessary. We just really did need to tell his story. Well, I didn't mind that we went to Kashyyyk. It's that Chewbacca's there, of course. Why didn't Han Solo, like, swing in from a tree or something, too? <laughs> the Millennium Falcon's in this movie, also. Blink and you miss it, but it is literally pulling into a parking spot on Coruscant. And Lucas has said that is the Millennium Falcon, not another YT-1300 freighter. So, does that mean, is it, uh... Lando, or is it Han? Would they even be born at the... I guess this is, what, 20 years? 20 years. So Han would be, you know, 10 years old, and Lando might be 15. Remember why I said in Phantom Menace that there was that list going around the BBSs and AOL about the things that must happen in these movies? One of the jokes was Lando Calrissian's uncle buys the Millennium Falcon. So maybe it was Lando's uncle. <laughs> yeah. Needed that. But I don't know why they had to get Peter Mayhew back. You said that you didn't need to see Chewbacca's origin. This isn't Chewbacca's origin. This is Chewbacca's cameo. We have no character story for him, at least with C-3PO, where we're like, okay, well, this is how he gets made. And R2-D2, we're like, okay, this is how he comes into the ownership of Padme. Here, Yoda is friends with Chewbacca and does that, goodbye, Chewbacca. Goodbye, Tarfing. <laughs> they're crying. I mean, like, they're like, like he's lived there for decades. 
Yeah, that that is so weird. But I do, I gotta say, I totally get a warm feeling in my heart when Yoda scurries up Chewbacca's arm and rides on his back. That's kind of cool, but it didn't have to be Chewbacca. Again, it's kind of like the battle at the end of Attack of the Clones. I really love the ship designs. I love seeing Wookiees put the explosives on. I'm not so fond of finding out that Tarzan cry that Chewbacca oh, roared that. in Return of the Jedi is actually a traditional Wookiee battle cry as it's roared here too. But I am fine with the battle. I wish it had a story reason for being there. Instead, if you're cutting stuff, cut the stuff that has no story, this battle. Nobody ever cuts the effects spectacular, and I understand that. But really, I'd rather see the formation of the Rebellion than this. Yeah, you could have Yoda go away to get him out of the temple and not show this stuff. It's You could show him what happens when Order 66 happens. Here, There's this little shot on Kashyyyk. We don't need to see a battle here. I don't know why Yoda and Obi-Wan can't be tracking down Grievous, if that's... You know, the reason that's going to take Obi-Wan away is like, just have it be about the Clone Wars and catching Grievous. I don't like anything that happens on this Wookiee planet. Not one thing. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan's been going to Utapau, tracking General Grievous. And here, Grievous has come. He met up with all the Separatist leaders on Utapau just so he could say, now board this bus to go to Mustafar. And it really doesn't take that much to defeat General Grievous. I mean, there's a ton of clones in orbit that Obi-Wan doesn't bother to wait for before going up against Grievous. I love when his arms split. I really love the twirling motion of the lightsabers because it's like, yeah, how do you fight that? Well, Obi-Wan shows the answer. I'll quickly cut off one of his hands. His wrists are so dainty. Like, it takes all the menace away from General Grievous. Like, yeah, he does this thing with his arms. He's got four arms, but then like his hands just seem so small and delicate when they get cut off. And why don't they just encase his wrists in that purple lightning that his guards have on their staffs so that way they couldn't cut off his wrists because apparently lightsabers can't cut through that. One of the many questions I haven't asked myself because I (laughs) didn't really know what was going on. I mean... Well, yeah, there's just more and more new robots that are different than battle. At least those ones don't talk, whatever those Grievous droids are. I I do like when they walk around even when they get their heads cut off. Yeah, I'm thinking of Monty Python at this point. It's just a flesh wound. I mean... But come on, don't don't you like when Grievous does his little spider walk? That is fun, and I love his wheel ship, too. I mean, he is a great character design, and all the different ways that they move him is enjoyable for me to watch i just feel like he would be a better fit in like the rescuers or something he just seems like a disney villain in some way i just in no way does he feel like he fits in the star wars universe and i'm not scared of him he's not even comically bad he's just kind of doing his own thing he doesn't feel like a foe for obi-wan i really do feel like obi-wan needed to fight a human being I don't know. I was getting like a Robocop 2 flashback when he opens up that chest plate and there's the sack full of organs and all that. I I was thinking Kane. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But I mean, you're probably closer to being right with Kane than I am with the rescuers. But but again, I guess (laughs) it's just because it is animated that I just can't give it a tactile credence. It just doesn't feel like it's there on the screen with him. And, of course, we get a throwback to the original trilogy, so uncivilized, as Obi-Wan says about blasters. That's a throwaway line. I laughed. But he goes down, and that means that Palpatine should step down. That Palpatine in charge only as long as there's a war? 
because that's the way he extended it. So that's when Obi-Wan gets suspicious about what's going on back home. Well, actually, Obi-Wan doesn't get suspicious until the clones start shooting him. I mean, it's literally a few minutes between when Obi-Wan kills Grievous and when Obi-Wan's friend Commander Cody gets the phone call, execute order 66. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like Cody gives Obi-Wan that lightsaber and then like, you should have just held on to that for like 10 seconds. And you would have had such an easier time killing him. And this is where I feel like I wish we would have had a clone as one of the characters. I want to see their struggle. I want to see, I guess, yes, they're made to be docile and just take orders. But it's just weird that they've been fighting with the Jedi for, what, three years these Clone Wars have gone on? And all of a sudden, they're just able to turn it like that. I I wanted to see some conflict, because we didn't get that with Anakin becoming Darth Vader in this film. It would have been nice to see someone struggle with turning evil. But maybe that's the point, is that that's why you don't want clones in a battle, because they all make the same decision. And apparently, it's the evil one. Yeah, there's been a number of explanations for this. One being that it was programmed in them because they were genetically modified to be less independent than Jango Fett and all that. The other thing I've read is just that they were trained the same way Palpatine was telling Anakin, hey, these Jedi, we may not want to trust them. The clones had this in them as well, that we may not want to trust them. Be prepared in case I give this order. I will say this this is like the one moment where I feel something in this movie. Like, I, I'm not crying, but the music is emotionally manipulating me, and it's sad to see these Jedi get gunned down by these clones it's it's a moment where i start to feel something yeah i mean no one can feel good about this it's kind of the schindler's list moment i mean it's all done in montage i mean we we've already talked about the kids being killed but all of it's happening really just scene after scene i would be having an emotional reaction to it if i didn't have the fury burning in me from having just watched anakin flip and betray all the jedi as flippantly as he did i just that to me kind of ruins what should be yes a crushing moment and a crushing defeat and I think he turned on a dime, but I found what he did at the temple abhorrent and sad. Of course, the only two we get to see escape are Obi-Wan and Yoda, because those are the only two alive when the next movie happens. Although it's implied others may have escaped. Yeah, I never took this as every Jedi was killed at this point, just the majority. Because they said they were going to go to the temple, Yoda and Obi-Wan will meet up at the Jedi temple, and they're going to reverse this distress call telling everyone to come to the temple so clones can shoot them. They're going to reverse that to warn them. So there are still Jedi out there. Well, they don't know that. They just hope that not all of them have gotten back yet. I think it would be silly to think that they all got back by this point. I mean, the the point of the story is that it's a huge hit. The Republic, as we knew it, is gone. And Padme gets the news from C-3PO, of all people. What does she know? Because, like, C-3PO is, like, telling him good news. They're like, oh, your boyfriend's in the temple, and he'll be home soon. But she's weeping. Yeah, because she thought he was hurt because that temple's on fire. Oh, she doesn't know that he's killing the children. Oh, okay. I thought she had some ink. Again, I never quite know what people know because they go back and forth here, but... She doesn't know what's going on, and Anakin's told, okay, now you gotta go to Mustafar and finish off the Separatist. That's the lava planet, Stuart. Yeah, yeah, I got that. So Anakin hasn't had time to have a powwow with Badme and tell her what's been going on. I don't think he would. Well, he, yeah, I mean, he doesn't totally tell her what's going on, but they do have a scene before the climax of this movie. 
there's this weird exchange that I never understood right after Anakin is rechristened Darth Vader, where Palpatine starts saying, there was a Jedi plot. Yes, the plot. You have to go defend us in the Jedi. Yes, I will go defend. I'm like, why are they speaking in code or... Is he hypnotizing Anakin, like trying to convince Anakin to go kill children using some kind of force power, the force suggestion, like these aren't the droids you're looking for, the Jedi were plotting to overthrow me. But that's the lie Palpatine is going to tell the Senate when he declares the Republic the first galactic empire, and it's the same lie that Anakin's going to tell Padme before going off to slaughter all the bad guys on Mustafar. Yeah, and it's got a real Hitler vibe when we're seeing these scenes, too. I mean, not unintentionally. I mean, they really are wanting you to know, just for all age ranges, that just make sure you understand what's happening is bad here. Yeah, well, the Empire officers were always based on Nazis. The reason they had British accents is because in a lot of World War II movies, Englishmen played Nazis and Americans played Americans. So that was always an intentional parallel on Lucas's part, again, driven home here. But Stuart, if you don't know any of the names or any of the species, did you recognize Jimmy Smith's ship? Why would I know his ship? Of course not. What, did he have a ship? It's the Tantive Four. It is the ship that started the movie where the stormtroopers boarded and R2 and 3PO are there. And 3PO is like, did you hear that? They've shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. The ship from which R2 and 3PO in Star Wars escape on the escape pod. That's Jimmy Smith's, a.k.a. Bail Organa's ship in this movie where Obi-Wan and Yoda show up. Does that do something for you? Like, do you feel like, wow, that really, I've like, ah, wow, there it is coming to a close. You know what it does for me? One thing I noticed, I feel like that ship was one of the few practical sets in this film. Like those white walls and everything looked to be real, whereas everything else is people standing in a green room and just, again, that plasticity that it's had. I feel good to be on an actual set with real walls and it felt like real space for me. And I liked it because it took me back someplace familiar. It took me back to the warm memories. I, as a kid, didn't know about Coruscant, Kashyyyk, Utapau, Mustafar. I knew the Tanti very well. And especially one of the last shots of this movie is 3PO and R2 in the halls of the Tanti, which is where we will get to them at the start of episode four. I think it's a nice bow. I mean, I recognized the name Captain Antilles, so I knew that they were winding up with the guy that was going to have them at the beginning of the movie. But did I recognize the ship? No. Obi-Wan and Yoda go back and see the security cam video of Anakin. And Yoda does an awesome move there. And Lucas didn't like it. Lucas cut it out. And one of the animators had done it, where Yoda chucks that lightsaber through the clone's chest, then leaps up and pulls it out. And finally, he relented and put that in. And that's like the best move. Yeah, if we're going to have fanfic Yoda that fights with a lightsaber and hops around <laughs> like a frog, I do love that shot. I, it was funny because I said I've only watched this twice before. And I swore, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's this whole fight outside the temple. Maybe that was like <laughs> one of those Battlefront games that I'm remembering because it is such a video game shot. I want to know, did Palpatine like come to the Jedi Temple and say great job killing all these children because it's on that video like good job darth vader yeah it's so weird because that's not when he's crescenting him darth vader in his office these are videotapes taken from the temple so that 
that yeah, that always struck me as weird. What I find funny again, Yoda, who hey, someone dies, just let it go, get over it, dude. He's also tells Obi Wan, oh, you don't nothing but sadness on these videos. You don't want to see them. Just just move along. Like he's Obi Wan's not supposed to know what's going on. Yoda is awful. Okay, that's one thing that is really clear. <laughs> Darth Vader is the worst, but Yoda's like two or three. I think Yoda knows what's on those tapes. Remember, he felt young Skywalker was in pain the last movie. He had the conversation about attachment with Anakin this movie. He clutched his heart when all the Jedi started to die because he felt it through the Force. I think he knows. Of course he knows, yeah. And it's, I gotta say, the he deserves a Razzie for this acting. I mean, those animators, <laughs> yeah, that heart clutching, all of that, just, again, hate Yoda hate Yoda in this movie. Oh, I disagree. I like Yoda in this movie. I love that he clutched his heart that way. Oh, it's awful. The terrible performance. If that had been a human being, you would have laughed. I would have laughed for many reasons if this was a human. He'd probably end up looking like Mel Brooks's yogurt and Spaceballs. But, no, I'd go with this. And I I never questioned him saying, don't look at those tapes, you'll only find pain. He's the all-knowing Yoda. And yeah, but they're the last two Jedi on Coruscant. Like, they need, they got to come up with a plan. And Yoda's already like, okay, you're going to go after Anakin. Wouldn't it help to know why Obi-Wan is going after Anakin? Like, wouldn't Obi-Wan wonder why he's going after Anakin if he didn't see those tapes? Maybe Yoda was going to break the news gently. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is no more Padawans for you. <laughs> Mourn them not, miss them not, <laughs> but you might want to stop your apprentice. You kind of screwed up that teaching job. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I'm i sure he's working the sermon out in his head as he goes along. I think he's making up the whole thing as he goes along. But he's going to stay behind and fight in the Senate with Sidious. This is a wasted opportunity. One of my favorite background characters, I can't remember if I said this in the Return of the Jedi podcast, it's so long yeah, ago. Yeah, the Royal Guard. The Royal Guards. Those awesome velvet red outfits, the big weapons that toys called force pikes. I even remember the role-playing game instilled in my head somehow that these were the reanimated corpses of dead Jedi that were put in these robes. <laughs> I, I just, I love these guys. Here, they're finally going to get some action. They lift their weapons and Yoda knocks them out cold. <laughs> yeah, but to me, that that is Yoda. That's what he should be doing. Like, he just kind of does a shoulder shrug, and they go flying against the wall and get knocked out. Like, I agree, Arnie. I want to see these guys fight at some point, maybe in Episode 7. But I do love what—I feel like this is how Yoda should be fighting. Not with a lightsaber, but with the Force. I don't even remember this moment. <laughs> it's amazing how much you guys are remembering. You, you don't remember anything. I, I, I'm not into this movie. I, I don't know what to tell you. I think you remembered more in your memory summary of this film than you do of actually watching. Well, no, what I remember is laughing as the Emperor is like, my little green friend. I mean, like, this is so bad. I have just accepted it at this point. I go with it. Like, I do like the moments as they start fighting. They go up into the Senate. And again, good thing recess was called people were out to lunch or else everyone would know that the emperor is actually a bad guy but i don't know there, there's something the way he's taking those pods and throwing them down that's well, fun. i, I go with it yeah it's symbolic he's destroying the republic he's bringing down the republic literally and figuratively i wouldn't read that much into it but <laughs> oh it's gotta be there that has to be the reason why else would you stage that fight there other than it's just a cool arena I 
love the force lightning bit, the way Yoda's able to get it, the way Ian McDermott gets that look of shock and fear when he realizes his most powerful lightning's about to come back at him. It's a lot of fun. I think it ends a little bit too easily. Like, Yoda seems to have the upper hand. He takes one fall and he's like, not only am I have I lost this battle, I must never try to fight the Emperor again. I must go hide on a swamp until I'm dead. Yeah, I, I don't understand this. Like, I've lost, so I must go into exile. Like, day's not saved. Screw it. Bad times for everyone. Again, it takes two to fail here. You could say that Anakin chose poorly and it all came crashing down, but other people made some horrible choices, too. And Yoda is high on that list. I did love the CGI of when he was trying to claw on that pod and leaves the fingernail trails. There's a lot of fun in this fight, and I, unlike you, Stuart, like some of the banter traded back and forth here. Ian McDermott gets a little rubber-faced for me here. It's when the makeup's possibly at its worst, except for the big hole in it in Return of the Jedi. But... Honestly, this is the sub-fight. The main fight is on Mustafar, where Anakin has arrived. We finally get to see Newt Gunray, the Nemoidian leader, get cut in half. After just saying all they want is peace. Yeah, well, democracy, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. I mean, I know that this was done. We talked about it last time. This was not designed as a political attack on the U.S. president of the time, George Bush. But clearly, at this point, they're inserting those things here. I mean, that that clearly is, I mean, that's a big criticism of the Bush administration. Yeah, I mean, Bush said that. If you're not with us, you're against us. Like, that was the whole thing with the war on terror. Yes, exactly. And so to have Anakin, to have Hayden Christensen. My problem is, is how bad he delivers this. If you are not with me... You are my enemy! Oh, it's so bad. You, Natalie Portman, you're breaking my heart. You're going down a path I cannot follow. You guys are focusing more on the... How bad the acting Not is? great acting. Yeah, exactly. No, the word, use yeah. the word, Arnie. The terrible acting. I won't use that word. I think that... This is one of Hayden's better performances. <laughs> I complimented him in the beginning. I said he seemed relaxed, but ever since the flip, nothing has been working right. Nothing. I like the look in his eye. I like his body language. His line deliveries are a little off. Padme's line deliveries are really off. But when he chokes her, I mean, God, that is a big thing. He was doing this all for Padme, but he's become so twisted and evil, he now is ready to... He becomes a spouse abuser right here. I mean... I I wish I got to see him become twisted and evil. You saw it. You just didn't like how you saw it. Yeah, because it wasn't shown to me. It was... All of a sudden, he was evil. I never saw a change. Did you like the way you saw it? I mean, you need to be brutally honest here. Are you satisfied with this transition as a movie? And I don't want you to refer to the book or what you think it might all mean. Damn, you, you cut me off at the pass with that book. (laughs) I think it could be done better, but I don't think this is done bad. Do you think it's done well? At times. Okay. There are times where it takes too much shorthand, and there are times of greatness. So yeah, I guess it'll average out to well. Okay. I'm not agreeing with you on that strongly. I just want to be clear if it's not already. Oh, it's clear. Believe me. It's, It's ruined by everything that's happened after that pivotal moment. I mean, I just... Literally, the movie has gone from green to burning red. And I'm enjoying it 
the visuals matter so much more to me than the vocals here. When he turns to the camera and he has those Sith eyes, I got chills when I saw that in the trailer. I love that transition. I love the casualness with which he slices down the separatists and the visuals of Mustafar, that lava world is just such a grand extreme visual with the oranges and reds and then to see Padme fall over a pregnant woman fall over from her husband choking her this is good stuff with some bad line deliveries and I guess it's up to each individual person how much you want to let a few bad line deliveries ruin an experience. Yeah, just a few. Just like Jar Jar. Just a couple annoying things. It, it, it's all the line deliveries. But well, you're gonna, You say all the line deliveries. You're going to tell me Ewan is bad in this? Ewan is great in this. As everything that Hayden drops, Ewan picks up and rides with. Yeah, except he can't redeem everything else that's awful with the talking parts here. What I do like, and just like... Ewan in The Phantom Menace, when that scene after Qui-Gon gets struck down, and he's just like ready to go when that energy door opens up and he just runs that mall and they just go at it. When Christensen and McGregor here, I don't know if they had stunt doubles doing this, but their fighting is so quick and so fast, the choreography here. Like at one point where they're just swinging their sabers, they're not even hitting each other, just like doing the sh face off like i i do like the beginning of this fight like there is so much going on and it. it's it's so well done the whole lightsaber fight is great and you know what this is this is months of training like between every take when they're setting up the new camera angle they're rehearsing they're choreographing they're working this through and it is so hard for me to say if I like this saber battle better than Phantom Menace. I eke out Phantom Menace just because Ray Park is so good, but these guys are so good, and this has emotion with it. To see these two, who I've watched grow close over the span of three movies and infinite books, to see them battling like this, it, I'll quote Padme, it's breaking my heart. And mine is not broken. I'm impressed by the technicality of it. I don't feel that emotion, though, and that's a big problem. This should be a passionate fight, and maybe if Ewan McGregor had someone that could act as well as him, I would feel that, but the build-up to this is so flat to me. I love how this looks. I love their skill here, but I'm not feeling it. I also think it's just kind of on the nose, right? I mean, like, you're going to create a literal hell, like, of course, to, to show where his descent has fallen. I mean, it's like it's like making a red-faced demon be the bad guy in the first one. It's just shorthand. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, it would end in fire and, and, and burning hell. Well, that was always Lucas's vision. He always had this. In fact, in, I believe it was Empire Strikes Back, he, you, we were going to visit Vader's castle on Lava World, so... It's not the most creative thing in the world, but I'll give you, I mean, it, it's a nice setting. It sets a mood, and it gives more than the actors do uh, as far as feeling the doom and the plight of, of what has befallen the Empire. And the graphics here are so good, too. They create this world. Does it look entirely believable? No. But it is such a visually stunning thing. And John Williams' score, this is the Battle of the Heroes song that was released as the single for this. So good. It just adds so much emotion that maybe the dialogue is sometimes missing that it sweeps me up every time. And I could, I have watched this fight again and again and again. And every time it ends, I could just like rewind it again and start it over. It is so good. Really, the only time I'm impacted is when Obi-Wan wins, quite frankly. Up until that point, I'm like, I've seen a lot of fights before, but I've never seen one 
won so decisively. What kills this fight for me, you say you love how this looks, the graphics and everything. When Anakin's surfing on top of that lava droid... Ugh, that like that is the end of the coolness for this fight. Like that looks so bad. I didn't think it looked that bad. It looks bad. Go you go back and watch it. I just watched it yesterday. I didn't think it looked that bad. But yeah, the ending of the fight is pretty quick and in one fell swoop, he cuts off three limbs. That's a hell of a swipe. I get how he could get the legs. I don't know how he gets that arm. <laughs> how does he get only one arm is what I really want to know. You'd think it would take off the robotic one too, but... And then, oh, this is where Hayden does well. When he's looking up with those red eyes and teary face. I hate you! I mean, and the music again, that sad music. And then he catches fire. I'm like, Obi-Wan, put him out of his misery. Don't just leave him to cook. <laughs> yeah, that's raw. That is what's so weird weird is like i loved you like a brother but i'm gonna let you die a horrible painful death (laughs) or maybe he loves him too much to actually put the saber through his neck but my god it's like wow that infection is gonna be severe these are third degree burns he's sitting there screaming do something for him but i i love you in speech here you are my brother anakin you were the chosen one. You were sent to destroy the Sith, not join them. That is when I tear up. It is Ewan's performance while Hayden is there, literally dismembered. Oh, that's when I tear up every time. And I don't, which is a problem for me. Like, when his, like, robes catch on fire and he goes up in flame, like, that is horrific. And I like that image. And McGregor's fine with his speech. It's falls flat for me though because of Anakin's turn here. It's it's so poorly written. I just I don't I have no feeling for it. Yeah, I mean I'll give the moment this. I feel for anybody that just lost three limbs and is on fire. I mean, you know, that <laughs> that's going to be uh, powerful no matter who it happens to and in what movie. So yes, I'm feeling it here and I I'll carry on. I really feel like they have one of the greatest moments of the entire trilogy with the suit that's going to keep him alive. I mean, That moment where you see the helmet come down on him and him become Vader is as good as you want it to be. It really is. Like, for a brief second, I'm like, I feel something. This is good. The best acting of Christensen is when his eyes go wide as that helmet's being lowered down on him. It really is. And we see it from his POV for just a second, too, coming on him, enclosing us in it. Yeah, that's the best moment. I mean, really, it's like so good, you almost forget about everything you sat through. Well, A, I enjoyed what I sat through. And I also don't like knowing that the entire time Darth Vader had Terminator vision. That was bringing up menus and focusing on stuff. I do think it's weird that, like, you go to the hospital and why they're putting your cast on you, like, they have a cape and a cloak to put on you as well. Like, it's weird that the Emperor, this is why I think we should have seen the Emperor, like, he was doing this with Darth Maul and trying to make these mechanical warriors. Why does he have all this gear ready to go with Darth Vader? That's a lot of leather to just find, but he is the Emperor, so I guess he could just order it up. Like, he had it all tailored and ready to go. It wasn't like the raw material. That thing was fitted and everything. I do like that. When he stands up, though, and we get James Earl Jones as the voice instead of Hayden, A, it's a little Frankenstein-y for my taste when he breaks off. I like off. that. <laughs> I like how he kind of stumbles there. It, it, he, he's got new legs. I like the Frankenstein illusion. Uh, where's the physical therapy session for Vader? Where's he going to learn to use these new appendages if he can't walk right away from the beginning? Luke had no trouble closing his hand, but I guess that was 20 years later technology. But then... Every line here 
is one of the worst in the movie. He wakes up and his immediate thing is, where's Padme? <laughs> in your anger, you killed her. No, that's impossible. No! I mean, you guys complain about Hayden. James Earl Jones really drops the ball on that no. I don't know how you could sell it. How else are you going to do that no? I, yeah, you shouldn't. You just shouldn't. Yes, Lucas should have removed it from here, not gone back and added it to freaking Return of the Jedi. Yeah, there's still hope. There is a new hope that someday someone will go back and just cut it off because the moment is totally ruined by that. If you just cut it before then, it really is one of the finest moments of the series. But that no is so overdramatic and so mood killing. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really deflating. It makes me sad to think about it. Let's not even talk about it. The worst part is I don't think anyone will ever recut these movies other than to bring out the originals of the original trilogy, because Lucas was a tinkerer. These were his movies. He kept going back. He kept changing. He kept changing. He kept changing. Disney, they're going to be like, yep, that's the movie. Anything Disney did would just be akin to a fan edit at that point, and there's plenty of those out there. So I think, do I like it? No! But it is what it is. And in parallel... As Vader is being born, so are his children. Yeah, this is really bad, too, because she is dead. <laughs> she is dead. That isn't a lie told to him just to keep him on the dark side. No, sh she's perfectly healthy, but for reasons we can't explain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's dying from a literal broken heart. Um, uh, maybe. Ugh, All right. Ugh, yeah. is what I have to say. I believed at the time that, yes, she had lost the will to live. That's what the droid says. And I remember a lot of people coming out at the time, specifically mothers who'd grown up with Star Wars, like, she just had two children. Why isn't that reason enough for her to live? You know, that's a horrible thing for this woman to not care about her children enough to want to live for them. And there was a lot of upset. And Lucas has remained mum on this. But I read a theory just came out earlier this year by a guy named Joseph Tavano, who writes for RetroZap.com. And he's the first person to really put something in my head that I believe may have been Lucas's intent. And if you didn't get it, and if you just thought she had died of a broken heart, well, that is a good fantasy thing. And we are dealing with space fantasy, and you could take it that way. But there could be something deeper going on here. It goes back to Darth Plagueis and all of that and the ability to stop people from dying. Tell me what you guys think of this theory. I mean, how does Palpatine know Padme died? He wasn't there. She died minutes ago. How does he know this? He's a liar. I always figured he would have said that no matter what. He could lie. He could feel it through the Force. You could take it as that. It's a very convenient lie that he's actually right. But what is said here is going back to the ability to preserve life. And what the droid says, the droid never says Padme is dying from a broken heart. What the droid says specifically is, medically, she's completely healthy for reasons we can't explain. We're losing her. And then you got Vader saying she was alive. I felt it. What does this all mean? Well, the theory is that using the teachings from Darth Plagueis, Sidious was sapping the life force from the one closest to Anakin, Padme, and using that life force to bring Vader to life. Her death actually created Vader's life. 
are you telling me that if she hadn't done this or if he hadn't, you know, he hadn't dusted off these tricks before, if he, if the magic trick didn't work and she lived and raised the babies, that Darth Vader would go back to the good side? I mean... No, he would have died. Yeah, he'd die of third degree burns. Ah, okay. No, I don't buy it. That If that's what Lucas wanted to do, he should have done it. I mean, it's fine. I mean, it, He may have done it. I mean, why else would he have inserted the whole story of Darth Plagueis in life if he's not setting up... Why did he put in sifo Why? I mean, why does he set up all these mysteries that he doesn't care to answer? Yeah. I'm just saying this is possible. Another possibility is that because Vader was such a powerful Sith... Anakin did it himself. I mean, Palpatine does say, in your anger, you killed her. Was Anakin so greedy about his own life that he siphoned Padme's life force? These are two theories, and I think both of them raise questions that nobody can definitively answer. Jacob, your dismissal of it had to do with Lucas's other works, not this movie. If you look at this movie... I'm, I'm looking at this movie. I'm looking at Lucas, what Lucas has told me in these movies. Because you know what? We're told that Palpatine doesn't even know how to do this stuff. He lied about yeah, it. Yeah, I thought they were magic beans. I thought that that was always a bunch of hornswoggle, that if he had that power, he would have... He would have. I mean, the best way to get somebody to follow you in a dark plan is to show them something. He never demonstrated that he had this power. If he could do that, then and maybe I believe he'd had the power to, to kill her from afar. But there's no moment of him using or conjuring or having lightning come out of his fingers or anything like that. There's no tell that lets you believe that he had any control over it. But there's the parallel that she is dying as he is rising at the exact same moment. These two things are intercut. Yeah, I put that up to contrived writing. Yeah, because Lucas has heard something called poetry. Yeah. He doesn't quite understand it, but he's heard about it. He's, he's looked it up in the dictionary and he's trying it out here. Hey, in many other movie reviews, you guys like mind games and conundrums that aren't answered. Ambiguous endings. I'm throwing this out there and you guys are just shutting it down. I don't think, because he has not shown me that he could pull it off. Well, we're shutting it down because I don't like this movie. You're asking me at the end of something I really haven't enjoyed whether this flourish means anything. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm just saying it has no impact on me. It wouldn't matter one way or the other whether he uses magic juju or or anything. It, it doesn't matter. This is a, a bad movie. Oof. Could not disagree more. And I like the mind game. And again, maybe we'll find something out. I doubt if we'll ever return to this. I mean, JJ has already said that he doesn't want to return to midichlorians. So I doubt if we'll ever return to the circumstances surrounding Padme's death. But I certainly prefer this idea in my mind versus she literally died of a broken heart and lost the will to live. And don't you think that's really part of why you're clinging on to this is because the literal telling of it is so dissatisfying that you need to create and conjure answers because the ones that are in your face stink? Or there's more to this than meets the eye, and I enjoy contemplating it, investigating it, and thinking about it from all angles. Yeah, no, I, I, I would recommend doing that if you're going to watch this movie, because the idea that she literally dies of a broken heart, and he's going to come, you know, stomping out there saying no, is not the way we wanted this to end. I mean, this really, it's the opposite of tragedy. It's unintentional comedy. I'll move on to something positive. I think it's weird that, you know, they're like, we got to split up the twins. 
so Vader can't find him, so the Emperor doesn't know. And, and Bail Organa, Jimmy Smith's for you, Stuart, is like, we'll take the girl, because we've always talked about adopting a girl. That's a really weird thing. <laughs> it's co- it's convenient that his wife happened to not want to give birth or not be able to or whatever. Yeah, and they're like, well, we've always talked about adopting a girl. We haven't done it yet, but hey, since we got a girl right here, let's <laughs> let's go for it. Yeah, lucky it wasn't two boys. If it was two boys, Bail's out. And then we we get this moment like, okay, we're going to take Luke to his aunt and uncle. Oh, by the way, Obi-Wan, guess what? I've been talking to Qui-Gon. This is Yoda speaking. I've been talking to Qui-Gon, and I, I got some homework for you to do on Tatooine. Like, again, that that's really weird and convenient that we're going to shove that into the last three minutes of this film. And what's really weird and inconvenient is that Liam Neeson wouldn't return to read the lines that he was supposed to and have Yoda's conversation with him that was scripted right there. Okay. I, I thought I remembered he was here and as a ghost, but I was I was surprised that they didn't use him. I, I, this would have been a moment to bring him back. Yep. And he claimed being too busy. He did come back to Star Wars. He actually did a voice for the Clone Wars cartoon series. I, I thought so. Yeah. He showed up in the Clone Wars and I thought that was his actual voice. Wow. But that was later, Liam, where he would take any paycheck he could get. He just likes to work now. But back then, I think he was being a little more selective. He said he was too busy on Batman Begins to do this. I'm not sure if he had been on vacation in Maui. He might have still said he's too busy to do this after he almost retired from acting after Phantom Menace. But maybe they didn't wine and dine him enough because, I mean, Lucas went to the ends of the earth to get Alec Guinness back for those next two movies. But nope. Liam did not return. They didn't get a voice-alike actor. And instead, we're left with this really weird, stilted conversation of, teach to communicate with him, I will. When we don't have any evidence of communication. It would have sold this whole trilogy origin of force ghosting so much better had Liam shown up for five minutes. Yeah. I think perhaps the best shot of this entire film, like, where I do feel something, and probably because it's a total throwback to one of the best shots, one of the best moments in the original Star Wars, is when Luke gets dropped off with Uncle Owen and Amperu, and Uncle Owen walks up to watch the twin sunset, that same pose, that same, you know, that the, the music swell, everything, just like when Luke is looking over the sunset, like that... I get chills down my spine when I see that scene. Very good. Very nice final view of this. The other thing that I like as a callback is, again, 3PO on the Tantive. But Bale says to erase 3PO's memory, never a bad idea. (laughs) But you're telling me that throughout all of the original trilogy, R2 is sitting there like, you know, you're kissing your sister, right? And knows (laughs) everything. He witnessed everything. And he's just like sitting back, maybe in private times, laughing his ass off alone. (laughs) Maybe he has really low like RAM or something, so he just can't keep much in his memory. (laughs) I like Arnie's idea. Maybe there's a malicious (laughs) side to this droid. He is a droid after all. He always was mischievous, yeah. (laughs) Maybe he was rooting for the droids to win the Clone Wars. Maybe this is some kind of payback. I don't know. The other thing that kind of bugs me is... Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, <laughs> are there? Because I haven't heard too it's many. It's just of continuity. Them. Continuity. Yeah, bugs no. Me. Leia says she remembers her mom, her birth mother, the images of her, and everybody took that to mean she was born first because she would have been around the mother more. But no, Luke is born first, and then Luke says there's something familiar about Dagobah. As I recall, 
what was supposed to happen is there was a scene where Obi-Wan dropped Yoda off on Dagobah with baby Luke before taking Luke to Tatooine. And Lucas was like, nah, we don't want to end with Yoda on Dagobah. So they cut that scene. But now why does Luke find Dagobah familiar? It's all stuff that he in- thought to insert. And yet, ironically, he had to go back and do a pickup shot of Obi-Wan picking up Anakin Saber because somebody else said, you know, he left. Anakin saber on Mustafar and later has to give it to Luke and Lucas was like, "Oh, I forgot." <laughs> Perfect. Well, maybe they'll be on episode three and a half. Yeah, six seasons of the Clone Wars. We are getting episode three and a half. Clone Wars came between two and three. Episode three and a half is called Rogue One, and it's coming out next year. Oh, okay. It is taking place before episode four. But Jacob Stewart. Do you recommend Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith? Jacob. You know, I, I just want, bear with me a little bit, because I want to to really talk about what this film did to me. Like, we've talked about fan theories. You're not going to say it raped your childhood, are you? No, no, I, I think that's a dumb thing to say. But I remember watching this, and I'm like, hmm, that, that was good, it was fine, but I'm not fulfilled. And I actually ended up delving into fan fiction. I never published anything, but I'm like, it, it started bugging me. I'm like, this this could have been done better. This whole trilogy could have been, why, why was it this? Why was it this way? Why, why didn't Lucas explain this? Why did he spend so much time doing, like, I started plotting out an entire prequel trilogy, like, using scraps that he had laid out here. Like, I used a character called Qui-Gon, but I started writing all of this stuff because it just, I'm like, there is something missing in this trilogy. There's something missing in this final part that has left this unfulfilling. Hey, change the character names and you could have Fifty Shades of Jedi. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> I'm not saying make it porn. I'm just saying take fanfic, change the names and publish it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Yes. Like, it, it was a, it was therapy for me because this last film is just like, wait, that's, that's the story of Darth Vader? That's it? Like, this film is fine. There, there's some great action. There's a lot of bad dialogue, some bad acting. It's fine. It's missing emotion and passion, though. Watching Luke and Vader fight in Empire and Return of the Jedi, like, David Prowse is clumsy or whatever stunt guy they put in there. Mark Hamill is no swordsman. But there is passion and emotion in those fights that you can't replicate with Obi-Wan and Anakin here. I, I just don't feel it. Or with Sidious and Yoda. And th- that's a problem for me. I want to be welled up. I, You know, emotion and passion are the way to the dark side. I want to be pushed to the dark side. I want to feel something here. And I don't. This feels like Yoda telling me to get over my aunt who just died. Don't worry about it. You'll deal, deal with it in time. And, and I've come to, I, I think, watching these prequels, I, I've got a theory that I am a George Lucas atheist. Meaning... I don't believe George Lucas is the magic behind Star Wars. Like that original Star Wars, he had a fight with a studio. His wife actually edited that thing and saved it. Empire, he, you know, had his mentor direct that thing. As I watch these films and watch Revenge of the Sith and what this is supposed to be, I don't see any magic in George Lucas. And and that's a problem. Like, I feel like Star Wars, there is magic. But in, in Revenge of the Sith, that magic isn't there. That passion isn't there. So it's a fine film. There's some great action scenes, but as far if you're if you want to be satisfied with Darth Vader becoming Darth Vader, I don't think this is it. It's it's a ends up being a, a recommend. What? It's a little bit better than Phantom Menace. 
Oh my god! Yeah, it's it's a fine action film. <laughs> that is like the most damning recommend we've had in a while. Not of all time, I think, but in a while. I didn't, yeah, I didn't hear a lot of love up until this moment, and even now. No, I, I'm saying the action scenes are fine, and in, in, in a swashbuckling film, sure. But it's, it doesn't feel like it's got spaceships and stuff, but it doesn't have what the magic that I associate with Star Wars. And I feel like out of this prequel trilogy, this one should have had that, and it's missing. So as a Star Wars film, maybe it's not recommended as a Star Wars film, but as a movie, yeah, it's fine. Sure, recommend. Stuart. I'll kind of agree with what you're saying, or at least what I can understand of it, Jacob. And that is that when I saw this with you, Arnie, in theaters, I remember walking out and thinking, oh, it was... Probably better than the last two. There was more that I cared about. I was more invested. Uh, you know, I had some good battles and I didn't remember enough about the episode one and episode two storylines to feel like whatever I didn't understand. Well, they're there if I want to go back and look at it. But since having done this and watched this entire saga in close proximity, yeah, its failures to build up to what Darth Vader became are huge. Now, I understand people could pick these movies apart as a death by a million paper cuts, you know, for some people because of inconsistencies or it not living up to magic or what have you. I don't have those standards. I'm not so in love with the original trilogy that I feel like it needs to have some childhood magic infused with it. I just want it to make sense. And this movie does not make sense. That turn for Anakin is horrible. It is destroying of the enjoyment of a casual fan. It is a unforgivable bridge. Search your feelings. You know this is true. Do not let nostalgia blind you from the bad storytelling. This it was ruinous. And I'm just having a hard time reconciling with the fact that although there was fun here in the early parts, and maybe in the later parts. I mean, maybe you're right, Arnie. Maybe that sword fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan is fantastic. But there's no doubt about it. The air is all out of the balloon the second that Anakin flips. I can't go with this movie. In some ways, it feels like the worst one because it was the most important one and it totally dropped the ball. The other ones, they had time to fix it, right? There there wasn't the stakes with episode one and two, but this one had a lot riding on it and it, it delivers almost nothing that you want. It delivered about maybe three scenes that I really, really wanted of how Darth Vader came to be. And a lot of it, yeah, I mean, it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So while I can recognize that as a space fantasy not connected to Star Wars, you might have some fun with this, but I can't believe any Star Wars fan would not walk away from this movie with at least mixed feelings, with not feeling like, wow, they really did not honor what I liked about Darth Vader. I mean, they just dropped the ball on him. And I don't, for me, this is a clear red arrow. It's a not recommend. It's really not, not just a not recommend for episode three. It's a don't bother with this prequel trilogy. I don't disagree with every point you've said, Stuart. I just disagree with most of them and the vehemence with which you say them. I walked out of this movie originally and I said, and I stand by, this is clearly the best of the prequels. Where I rank it among all the Star Wars films will discuss in a few weeks, but I knew this is the time Lucas got it right. And I felt like there were pieces of the story that were missing. I felt like there were things that should have been explored that weren't, and some character actions that could have required motivations and I didn't get them. And I knew that the battle on Kashyyyk was 
pointless. I got that on first watching. I'm like, why is that there? But I loved the action. I loved seeing the pieces fall into place. I went in knowing I would see Anakin turn into Vader. But did I know I would also see how the Empire was made? I knew the twins would be born, but did I know that I'd see what Alderaan looked like before the Death Star blew it up? The way it delves and expands into the Star Wars universe, tying the mythos up in a bow. I still don't think 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 is the way to watch them, but the fact that 3 ties so much into 1 makes me think it's not great continuity where you watch 3 and 4 and it feels good, but that when you start with part 4 or Star Wars and end with Revenge of the Sith, it feels like you've formed a circle. And is Hayden great in this? Hell no. He's not great. There are certain lines that are truly god-awful. But he's better here than he was in the last one and a mile above Jake Lloyd in Phantom Menace. Is Natalie Portman good here? No. She's back to almost as bad as her Phantom Menace performance, but she's given nothing to do so she can hardly be ruinous. But Ian McDermott, Ewan McGregor, Jimmy Smits, these guys are giving awesome performances with great line readings. Is this a perfect movie? No but it's still a great one, and I'm giving it a strong recommend. I'll agree on one thing. I think every single Star Wars movie, with the exception of those Ewok ones, shows that Lucas has talent in world building. I mean, I definitely feel like there was no movie where I didn't see his creativity in creature design and in painting a world that was somewhat fun to see in to a lesser extent, explore. He's really designed a universe that has a great appeal. And I think that the episode one creatures, the ones that were new, a lot of them were repeats and early versions of what would come to be in the original trilogy. I, I do feel like that is the selling point of George Lucas, creator of Star Wars, is that he knows what he wants the world to look like. He just doesn't know how to tell the story. And and that is very evident. I mean, even you, Arnie, and I appreciate that you're a fan that has passion and emotions about this. You have admitted this is not the complete story. Right. I definitely think that you will get so much more out of this if you go read Matthew Stover's book. And you shouldn't have to read a book for a movie. I don't think you have to read the book to enjoy this movie. I wouldn't have recommended no, it no, if I did. That's not what I'm but, saying. But it's not the complete story. I think it enhances it and gives you the story you want and the motivations you want. And plus, reading dialogue in your head, you'll always get a better line reading than what Hayden's going to give you. <laughs> but I think that people throw the baby out with the bathwater on the prequels. I completely understand the gripes with parts one and two. They're not as ruinous for me as they are for some people, but I get them. But that people throw out episode three. Oh, I know people who threw out Star Wars because of episode three. Like, people that love Star Wars, and they saw this, and they're like, nope, I'm never having anything to do with Star Wars again. I know people like that, and it's not until the recent Marvel Star Wars comics where they got some big-name comic people to do them, where they've come back and started enjoying Star Wars again, once Lucas is out of the picture. Well, admittedly, I run in a different circle, but I only knew people's fandom to grow after this movie, including my own. When Phantom Menace was done, after I'd seen it in theaters through July, I was left with a burning love of Star Wars and no movies to look forward to, no new content other than books to look forward to, and I needed to channel that energy, and I created Star Wars Action News, the August of 2005, based on a 
no pun intended, burning love for Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars. And the people I met through doing that show, including you, Jacob, and I got a question about that. (laughs) I agree. Like, after the Star Wars thing, what carried me was the community. Like, it wasn't these films that had excited me so much. It was interacting with other fans that enjoyed the same movies that I had enjoyed. But I'm really curious, because you were pretty down on Attack of the Clones. But I wasn't when I first saw it. I really liked that when I first saw it. It wasn't until I saw that Lucas didn't care to answer anything in there and, and years later that it just, I'm down on it now. It would have been a recommend if it was a weekend of release. Okay. And I didn't know you at that time. I met you after I started the show, shortly after I started the show, probably really late 2005. And you were still a heavy collector of Star Wars. And yet you gave this, you know, a damning recommend. So I'm curious, is that also changed in retrospect? Were you more into Star Wars and Revenge of the Sith at the time and your feelings have cooled? Or why was it that you were such a big part of the Star Wars community and such a collector then, but I just get nothing but disdain from you on these last two films? It was it was part of being the part of that community. I would have debates on there. I remember I started one debate like, you know what? Uh, here is my canon for Star Wars, and I am not accepting George's special editions of the original trilogy and like that caused a whole debate like there are debates going like that like geeks do like what moments really matter and i i collected for years i always had problems with this last one especially like attack of the clones was a slow burn for me but revenge of the sith i fell to disappointment but it was being around fans and and talking and going to conventions that kept my love for star wars alive it wasn't because of my love for this film And that might be kind of true for all of this prequel. I do feel like, which is not to say that you would dislike this movie if it wasn't connected to Star Wars, but I do feel like it having the name brand makes you want to embrace it harder than you would if it were just any old sci-fi movie, Arnie. I will twist that and say what excites me a lot about this movie is that it is deepening my understanding and exploration about a universe that I'm now six films into. And if this exact movie were Ice Pirates 2, I wouldn't have that attachment to see the origins of those characters and to see those worlds and those things that I'd been hinted at or read about in comics on screen. So yes, being into the world is going to increase your enjoyment of this a thousandfold, but that's different than giving it a pass because it's Star Wars. Yeah, no, and I'm not accusing you of that. I want to be clear. It just, to me, I do wonder how many new fans are one that watch these ones. I mean, if you're not sold on that original trilogy, I don't know why these movies would grasp your imagination. Can you imagine the person that doesn't care much about episodes four through six, but really does like these? Children did. I remember being in the toy aisles from 2005 through 2008. The toy aisles were hopping and there were adult collectors intermixed with children of all ages. In 2008 and 2007, the 30th anniversary of A New Hope, Kids were there buying the toys. Kids who their parents showed them their original trilogy, but they were growing up with the prequels. They were just as into the toys, begging their parents like I used to beg mine for the latest Star Wars figure. It warmed my heart to see that passed on generationally. Do they hold the 
prequel trilogy as precious as my generation holds the original trilogy? No, I don't think so. But there definitely were new fans built with these movies. Hmm. It's that Jar Jar, isn't it? Lucas thinks so. He continues saying that that was for kids and that it appealed to kids. It brought in that younger audience. Uh, And that was my experience watching this with an eight-year-old who has experienced these films for the first time. Phantom Menace, still her number two after the original Star Wars because of Jar Jar. Yeah, Yeah, Lucas is no idiot. He knew there was something about that that was going to have appeal. The problem is I think only kids are going to like him, but hey, they're growing up. Well, when this was over, like I said, I thought Star Wars was over. It felt sad to me to think never another Star Wars movie. Ever. Three years later. Imagine my shock and surprise (laughs) when it was announced in very early 2008 that in August of 2008, Star Wars was returning to theaters with the new television saga launching with a major motion picture, Star Wars The Clone Wars. That's what we're going to be discussing in two weeks. We are not ready to go to The Force Awakens yet. There's still The Clone Wars in between. Plus, you guys have to uh, get back to another franchise we've let linger, Rocky. Yeah, how could we not go the distance and review Creed? It's already out. We didn't do a weekend of release because we didn't want to break up this trilogy. But next week, Brock returns to review the latest Rocky movie. Looking forward to it. It looks kind of good, and it's got Johnny Storm in it. And then we will return with The Clone Wars, and man, just three weeks from today, our review of The Force Awakens will be released. It's certainly the most anticipated weekend of release review of the year. Of now playing history, perhaps. How is The Force going to protect us on the downloads? <laughs> because of our donors and allowing us to upgrade our servers again and get some insane hosting plans going and we have not had a crash in many moons thanks to donors both their advice on where to move for hosting as well as their money to pay for that hosting and people who want to support our show now and donate right now we are heading into a long stretch of gold donation Quentin Tarantino films we finished Hunger Games with Mockingjay Part 2 last Friday. This Friday, we head into what I consider Tarantino's second age with Jackie Brown. Yes, if you want to see Sam Jackson be good in a film, uh, as opposed to this week, (laughs) uh, I hope you can join us on Friday. I like Jackie Brown a lot, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it. It is certainly going to be a show of varied opinions. (laughs) You might have changed your mind. I might have. We will find out this Friday. And then I imagine we're going to have more varied opinions the next couple weeks with Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2. So the Quentin Tarantino keeps coming. A donation of $10 or more will get you six podcasts immediately. Battle Royale, Battle Royale 2, and the four Hunger Games. $25 or more, you get all six of those. We've already reviewed Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and then this Friday, Jackie Brown. $35 or more to go platinum. You get all of those shows, and you're going to get four more right away. The Tarantino-associated films, True Romance, Natural Born Killers, Four Rooms, and From Dusk Till Dawn. These are only available 
until the end of January because we're tying into Tarantino's Hateful Eight, technically coming out on Christmas like in two cities, but coming out in mid-January for the majority of the nation. So we hope you've enjoyed this retrospective series, the Star Wars series, and the extra weekend of review shows with Spectre and Creed that you can donate and support to keep now playing on the air. And I thank you in advance for your support. And I also thank Jacob and Stuart for joining me tonight. And until next week, the podcast will be with you always. It is finished, then. You have restored peace and justice to the galaxy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Star Wars Retrospective Series. Sorry, sir. It's time for you to leave. And so it is. We hope you've enjoyed the show. This is a happy moment. The happiest moment of my life. If you like Star Wars, join Arnie and Marjorie at SWActionNews.com for Star Wars Action News, a podcast dedicated to Star Wars toys, books, games, and more. Your lightsabers will make a fine addition to my collection. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. <sighs> Always on the move. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews, including every film in the Star Trek, Terminator, 2001, Back to the Future, Batman, and James Bond film series. I'm depending on you to be the eyes, ears, and voice of the Republic. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. This is where the fun begins. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can share your opinions of these films with the hosts and other listeners. We must move quickly if the Jedi Order is to survive. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. An old friend has learned the path to immortality. How to commune with him, I will teach you. I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. To cheat death is a power only one has achieved. But if we work together, I know we can discover the secret. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. They need you more than you know. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. If you have worries, now is the time. You can show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. You're so beautiful. 
only because I'm so in love. A link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. I will do what I must. You will try. Now playing is edited by Arnie. Well, he is under a lot of stress, I think. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Did I say anything? He's trying. I didn't say anything. Now playing is not affiliated with Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, or Disney. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Lucasfilm Limited, and no infringement is intended. Why didn't the council give me this assignment when we were in session? This assignment is not to be on record. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side as you do. Don't make me kill you. If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Now playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. If into the security recordings you go, only pain will you find. Chosen one! It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them! Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness! You were my brother, Anakin! I loved you! This is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. And when Palpatine starts luring Anakin with a story of a Sith Lord called Darth Plagueis the Wise, who had the ability to stop people from dying, Anakin started to become interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that's the moment Anakin started to become interesting. Now that is a Freudian slip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>